Uh, department head, sir, you wanted everybody on the bridge before we left the galaxy? Yes. Astrocytes is standing by, Captain. Engineering division ready, as always. Life science is ready, sir. This is Dr. Dana, who joined the ship at the Aldebaran colony. Psychiatry, Captain. My assignment is to study crew reaction in emergency conditions. Getting something from the recorder now. A little do you know about something that I talk about. I'm tired of driving us through time and I walk about. But in the meantime, I'm wise to the demise. Got us in the back of my head so I realize. I'm back to splack. I'm here like you. I want you off the floor. If you're playing the wall. I said, what you, what you, what you want? I said, what you, what you, what you want? Well, I'll need somebody familiar with the late 20th century Earth. Here's a chance to let this story and do something for a change. What's your name? Are you Cotus? I met him once, many years ago, very briefly at his son's wedding. I remember he spoke to me and I just stood there grinning like an idiot. Now, you may know about our cardiopulmonary system. You have a lot to learn about the human heart. So what you, what you, what you want? I said, what you, what you, what you want? I said, what you, what you, what you want? Yes, sir. The has begun. Defend yourself. Welcome to Geek Fights, the Ponzi Scheme of Podcasting. I'm Damon Shaw. With me, as always, is Mr. Mike Ortiz. Mike, what are we fighting about tonight? Well, you know, we've uh, talked about Star Trek a lot on our show. We've done the best episode, the worst episode, the most mediocre episode. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're taking a look at some of the smaller characters that have been on uh, Star Trek, uh, characters that have been on 10 or fewer appearances, something that we uh, have come to call the best sixth string Star Trek character. Now, before we go on, I want to know why are we calling it sixth string instead of fifth or fourth? Uh, every time I say sixth string, I keep trying to say sixth string, which makes it sound like we're talking about the best guitar player in Star Trek, which I don't know if there's that many. Uh, um, it, Jared said it should be best sixth string, so that's why it's best sixth string. Well, then that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> best sixth string Star Trek character. Not so, banjo uh, who, character. Well, banjo would be fifth string, wouldn't it? Right, exactly. See, Not yeah. Fifth, yeah. So I, I guess any kind of strings. Um, or we'll, or you can maybe even throw in a tuba. We don't. We're not going to be best musical Star Trek character is another another topic. But Spock's going to win that one. Um, so who's joining us tonight, Damon? Well, tonight we've got Chris Wood. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Christy woke. Hi. Oh, she's really quiet down there. We're gonna have to fix that. And Mr. Jared for Mr. Jared Formby. Hello. Uh, you know that the intro to this show is phenomenal. Is there any way we could just play that again right now? Uh, maybe we, we might do it in the middle. <laughs> and we also have a very very special guest, Mr. Larry Nemechek. Hey guys, I can't believe this is my first time on. So this is, we'll have to make it one for the ages, or not. Uh, so, uh, how do the fights work, Mike? Well, uh, each of our panelists chooses six of their favorite sixth-string Star Trek characters. Uh, we throw in uh, two more chosen by the Geek Fights staff to bring it up to 32. We randomly match them up and drop them into tournament-style brackets, which you can download from our website at geekfights.net. We each cast our vote, give our reasons, and the winner of each fight moves on to the next round. 
This continues until one is crowned the best sixth-string Star Trek character. Now, as always, there are no wrong answers on Geek Fights, just wrong people. So you can use any rationale you want. It can be clever and well thought out, or crazy and personal and everything in between. That's what we call Geek Logic, and good Geek Logic has been known to sway votes, so choose your argument wisely. Well, let's start the fight. Uh, Mike, this fight is yours. It is Moriarty versus Vic Fontaine. Uh, you know, this is this is interesting. Once again, the randomizer has uh, has kind of put things together that are kind of appropriate to holodeck characters. Um, and uh, I love Vic Fontaine, but uh, I'm going to vote for Moriarty. Um, I think just in general, uh, it's a more interesting character to, uh, to me. He's the villain of, uh, these particular episodes. I really love the episodes. Um, and, uh, I just, I, he's a villain, but he's got that kind of good motivation. He's not really trying to be evil. It's really just, he wants, wants to live. He wants to have a real life and he, he doesn't care who he puts in jeopardy, uh, to do that. So he's, he's got a good motivation for a villain. And, uh, and I just like the fact that basically he is a sentient being really just because of, a, of one slightly misspoken sentence. So um, I think I'm going to give it to Mor- Moriarty in this one. A vote for Moriarty. Chris? You know, it's kind of a hard decision between those two. Moriarty is an excellent uh, villain and, and a villain that you almost, you know, care about. Uh, you have feelings for him. Um, but uh, Vic Fontaine holds a special place in my heart. Um, it's only a paper moon is one of my absolute all-time favorite Star Trek episodes. It's one of those episodes that you go to, well, that I go to when I'm feeling kind of crappy or I just wanted like a pick me up. Um, and so every time I kind of think about, you know, being in a better place, not like, you know, the afterlife, but just being at a happier place, I often think of Vic Fontaine. So I'm going to have to go with Vic because he's totally awesome. So, uh- a vote for Vic Fontaine. Christy. Um, all right. So, yeah, they're both sentient. They're both um, aware that they are holodeck characters. Well, in the end, from Moriarty. And um, I, I feel like Moriarty m- moved the story a lot more than Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine was kind of just, I mean, he, he was a place to get away to. I don't feel like he held really any importance to the show. So I'm going to vote for Moriarty. Another vote for Moriarty. Mr. Formby. Oh, man. That's a really good point that they're both holodeck characters, but I really have to throw my weight behind Vic Fontaine. I mean, Vic Fontaine was introduced in the... He came out in the sixth season of Deep Space Nine, and... And this guy, the development that those writers gave him and the way that he affected those characters, Jordi LaForge would be crying for that kind of development. So I'm going to go with Vic Fontaine because he's just especially well-rounded, especially for somebody with as little screen time as he finally got. I mean, he affected the war, he affected the morale, and he got Odo and Cure together. I I don't know where you are on that, but uh, I think that's Vic Fontaine for sure. A vote for Vic Fontaine. It is all tied up. It comes down to you there, Larry. Oh, oh, fine. Pile on the new guy. Okay. Um, I'm going to, yeah, Moriarty, dramatically, and plus he's got the British, minor British thing going there. But I, I just for what Vic Fontaine was such an iconic, I mean, who expects a lounge singer in a sci-fi show? 
And um, I'm trying not to let the fact that that I personally watch those Iron, those writers, like, create and come up with that and have all these great stories and what a wacko thing that was to have him in there and and not be swayed by the fact there were so many more appearances of Vic Fontaine than Moriarty. But uh, I just think something that kind of out of the box needs to be rewarded. And, and of course, Jimmy Darren did it to perfection. And there were some pivotal shows. Chris mentioned Paper Moon, where he was – he was one of the two stars of the whole episode. Forget the regulars. It was he and, and Aaron Eisenberg, two recurring characters. So I'll, I'll just to stir things up, uh, I'll say I'll come down with Vic. And Vic Fontaine is moving on into the next round. We're on to our next fight. Chris, this one is yours. It is V'ger versus Lon Suter from Voyager. <laughs> um, that's pretty easy for me because the first experience I had with Star Trek was Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, and V'ger totally creeped me out. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but I was pretty young, and that movie was pretty boring until you got to the end with V'ger. So um, I'm going to go with V'ger. And, and, you know, it's possibly the uh, the beginning of the board. So, boom, headshot. A vote for V'ger. Christy? All right, well, V'ger is also sort of just a reimagining of Nomad. So... I'm going to give it to Lon Suter because I'm really into, like, the the really political kind of Star Trek episodes. And um, Lon Suter is this, he can't, he has, like, no feeling at all, and he commits a murder, and he's, he was part of the Maquis, and um, everyone always thought he was a little off, but couldn't quite put a finger onto what was so strange about him other than he just seemed to really like to kill for no reason. And I mean, there could be some legitimate reasons why he was part of the Maquis. Um, but um, it, it was one of those episodes, well, it was a couple episodes, but the first episode, you got to really explore um, like what to do with possibly the mentally ill or criminals in a, in a society where, you know, execution isn't, isn't something that you do. And, um, I don't know. I just, um, really like those crazy murdering beetles. So a vote for Lon Suter, uh, Jared. Wow. That, that was a that was a beautiful treatise on Lon Suter. I mean, I hadn't even thought of the the mentally handicapped issue being brought into the character until this exact moment. And th- this fight is really horrible for me because Star Trek motion picture is my favorite of anything uh, on the big screen regarding these characters. But I have got to go with Lon Suter as well, and this is the joy of having Larry Nemechek on the show. Because I'm about to like get into like a little story, and he can like correct me if I'm wrong, or like tell the real story, which will be great. But um, the the truth of the matter is that Long Suter, it's like taking Deanna Troy, who's half Beta Z, and let's go full Beta Z. Oh, and he's psychotic. So yeah, he can read your mind, and he can mess up your whole world. And he'll be played by Brad Dorf, which is fantastic. And this guy was such a phenomenal character, and they had Brad Dorf playing it. Michael Piller was pushing for this guy to be part of the Voyager spine. He wanted this guy to, like, go forward on Voyager and be this awesome thing. And then uh, when he was leaving Voyager, 
uh, he mentioned this to Jerry Taylor, and Jerry Taylor's like, well, I don't like Suter. I mean, it's too, uh, when you leave the show, I'm not going to do anything with him. So on Pillar's last script for Voyager, he, like, built this awesome heroic theme for Suter and actually built this death to just send him off. Like, well, if you don't want Suter, then no one gets Suter, and I'm going to give him this great send-off. So I'm going to go with Lon Suter. Uh, vote for Lon Suter. Uh, Larry. Uh, wow, Gerald. I, I, I probably knew that, and uh, I don't know if I knew it so specifically. I should, like, dive back into an interview there. But I was going to praise Lon Suter, too, just because of the fact that it was poor Voyager, and that was some kind of texture that they so badly needed. And it worked, and it was Brad Dorff, and it was a psychopath. And, and it's like, you know, the, another part of the, the whole Maquis Starfleet thing was so damn fucking seamless and it, you know way too much and it went so vanilla so fast and and uh, to throw that in it was yeah it was one of michael's ideas and he should get credit for that and um and, and the departure was your little story there was great uh Viger, i i and i hate this because it sounds like you're dumping on poor Viger and dumping i mean you guys that are all great fans of motion picture that's wonderful i mean i'm i i I protect all the poor. I try to protect the poor little downtrodden flock of the Star Trek family if they're getting too dumped on, and motion picture gets dumped on a lot, and and the and the redone version helped out a lot. But I just I just have to come down with with Lon Suter here, and and not as a slap against uh, Viger at all. But Viger, you know, Viger was Viger, and uh, Lon Suter had uh, and plus Lon Suter. Somebody said was another great take on a little bit, a tiny, of all places, Voyager, a tiny bit of development on uh, the Betazoids, which we, like, rarely got. Uh, another vote for Lon Suter. And Mr. Ortiz. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've, I'm have i not a big Voyager fan, um, as I've, I've said before. And I didn't know who this was, um, but I Googled uh, the name, uh, hoping that I would actually recognize him. And before even seeing the entry, just seeing the photo, uh, of who it was and uh brad brad dorif is, is a favorite of mine uh, i immediately was like oh my god this was actually one of my favorite episodes of voyager um and uh and, and it, it, it was just fantastic it was an incredible episode and a great performance and, and a great character but for me viger viger represents something else and he represents um star trek uh a different side of Star Trek. I mean, we've like uh, Larry just mentioned, Star Trek: The Motion Picture gets dumped on a lot, and I've for a long time been on a crusade to kind of rehabilitate it, its image. Um, and and I think that Viger was a great uh, antagonist in that movie. I mean, in Star Trek II is the most popular uh, of the Star Trek movies in many ways. Uh, you know, it won Best Star Trek Movie here, and the villain there is you know a madman bent on revenge because. You know, the, the hero uh, killed his wife or wronged him or something. And that's a very kind of typical sort of dramatic story. And it's dramatically very powerful, but it's not very Star Trek necessarily. Whereas V'ger is very literally a space probe that fell to the other side of the galaxy. And um, then it's, you know, transformed into this other thing and sent back. And its whole purpose is to learn about the universe. It's that that programming that the Voyager space probe had to learn all that is learnable. Um, its mission is the same mission as Star Trek's, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no man has gone before. It's Star Trek wrapped up. It's Voyager's mission. It's V'ger's mission. It's Star Trek's mission statement. 
For me, V'ger is kind of the essence of Star Trek. And uh, while the other character is a great character, you can see characters like that on any TV show, pretty much. But V'ger, that's pure Star Trek. Well said, man. A vote for V'ger. I love the motion picture. What? What? <laughs> what? I said what? I love the motion picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, like how, I like how everybody's all intellectual, and I'm just like, yeah, V'ger's really creepy. I'm going to vote for that. <laughs> it's fine. I, uh, I would only say, and I'm, I'm like I said, sticking up for V'ger, too. I would only say that when you said, oh, you could find long suitor type characters on any series, I was going to say, but not on Voyager. But anyway. Lon <laughs> <laughs> Suter is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. That's a great death for Lon Suter. It is the Dura Sisters versus Garth of Izar. Okay, so the Dura Sisters are a combination uh, in Star Trek of two things that I love, which are politics and going on. Um, but I, I will go on a little bit about um, Garth of Isaac. Um, he's the disgraced um, fleet captain. Um, well, only disgraced because he went insane um, after he was um, maimed. But he, he learned how to, from an alien race, he learned how to uh, manipulate his genetic structure to change his appearance at will. So he's being held on this... Um, uh, asylum planet um, for the criminally insane who, you know, there's hope for rehabilitation, but um, not really. And uh, Kirk and Spock beam down and um, he tricks them and um, he's trying to get off the planet. And he's another one of those crazy, psychotic, awesome, brilliant, screaming, egomaniac characters that I love. So I'm going to vote for Garth of Isaac. Uh, vote for Garth. Jared. Oh, wow. That was awesome. Um, I'm going to vote for Garth of Izar because of everything that, that, Chris, uh, that Christy said, and I'm also going to do it because uh, you're hearing it here first. Uh, that is who Benedict Cumberbatch will be in the new movie. So, there. Uh, another prediction. <laughs> A oh, vote that would be so good. That would be so good. <laughs> a vote for Garth. Uh, Larry. Wow. Um, uh, I, I'm still in awe of your furniture ability, Mr. Formby, much less your leak ability there. Um, I'm sorry, that was pretty obscure. Uh, wow. Uh, okay. Well, I was all prepared to go in with the Duras just because of their impact on everything, and they were so deliciously played by uh, uh, Barbara and Gwyneth. And, uh, yeah, Garth is one of those characters that you always wanted to, you knew there had to be more there, and you re- regret that no one ever circled back around to pick him up or do them, because it was obviously re- he was restored. And um, I hate the fact that he was just kind of a cheap angle of a third season episode about, about all that. Um, I, you know, I'm, it's such an, uh, such an unfulfilled potential, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the Duras just because they were a, potential run ragged across two two series and a movie a vote for the dura sisters mike uh, i will vote for the dura sisters um because of boobs <laughs> uh vote for boobs dura sisters get a vote and it's all tied up it comes down to you mr wood which one takes the win between the two um 
You know, I kind of dig Garth Visor. It's the you know we get to see Yvonne Craig as an Orion slave girl in an episode. Um, got to meet Yvonne Craig at uh, Dallas Fan Days. Doesn't look as good as she used to. Let's just put it that way. Um, she was very kind. Uh, oh, yeah, wrong. Her boobs still look good. Well, you, you know what? You've got a point there. Um, now the Duras sisters, because yeah, I'm a TNG guy and a DS9 guy. Um, they span both series. They were excellently played, like Larry said. Um, and Daniel loves them so, so dearly. Everybody here knows Daniel, right? Cricket, no, no. Right off, but don't be slow down. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Dura sisters. Because, I mean, they're, they were excellently played. They spanned several series. They did push the story along. I wasn't a huge fan of the way they died in Generations. I thought that was kind of a cop-out. But um, still, great character. So, Dura sisters. They had good company in Generations. Of, yeah. Of no, cop-out totally deaths. Yeah. <laughs> Dura sisters are into the next round. We're on to our next fight. Jared, this one is yours. It is Khan versus Loaxana Troy. Oh, wait, nope, sorry. It's uh, old takes this go. I was looking at the wrong part. Okay, what is it then? It is Khan versus old Jake Cisco. Wow. Um, dang, dang, dang. See, now, this is another example of uh, somebody I wanted on this list, but I, I couldn't see how, it, how she could really topple everything. But no one ever talks about the visitor in The Visitor. I thought she was fantastic, and I would have loved to have seen her talked about. But, I mean, when you put up against Khan, it's like, come on. I mean, it's Star Trek Darth Vader. You know, it's like this, 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 this situation, you've got a brilliant performance by Tony Todd, and you've also got the most phenomenal villain ever to hit anything in Star Trek. So good that even now, like, they're trying to quell rumors that, he may be the villain in the next film, and I wouldn't blame him if they went there because he is the only thing we got that is as epic as Darth Vader for some reason. So, ah, damn it. You know, I'm going to go with Tony Todd just, just to mix it up, and I'm going to go with that performance because it's a phenomenal episode of Star Trek, and I love it all day. So I'm going to go with old Jake Sisko, even though he's technically just Jake Sisko and had multiple appearances. Uh, vote for old Jake Sisko. Uh, Larry? Uh, just looking at old Jake Sisko, I keep wanting it to be like a banjo folk song, you know, like old Jake Sisko, he was, or something. Okay. Um, I, I'm sorry. I love, I love the visitor. I love what they did with the show. I love Tony Todd's performance and all that. But if I'm stepping back, I don't know how I, I don't know how you don't advance con to the next round. And and some of this may be unfair in that we're I mean it's kind of ridiculous on one level but a, another level that we're mixing episodes with movies which we have original series and next gen movies you can't ignore them and if you only had Space Seed maybe Khan wouldn't have had quite that aura that he got from having the two hour movie and the cinemascope you know uh, impact on people but I um. Aside from just wanting to mix it up and go for the underdog here, and because it was a great, you know, it was a standout show for DS9, I, I just I have to go vanilla here, but, but justifiably so, and, and stick with Khan. I'll vote for Khan. Mike. 
Yeah, I mean this is this is really tough, and this is kind of you know one of those things that that that's at the heart of of a lot of the the decisions we make here, uh, where Khan is clearly the the big epic choice, whereas old Jake Sisko is a very personal choice. I would never even have thought to uh, put uh, old Jake Sisko on here. Um, I I think I'm touched more and moved more by old Jake Sisko, but you know let let's break out the word iconic uh, early in the show. Uh, you know, like, like Jared said, he's Star Trek's Darth Vader. He's, he's the, the big gun. That's like voting against Spock. Um, and, and I don't know that old Jake Sisko resonates as well without young Jake Sisko who doesn't qualify for this bracket. So, you know, because I can't really divorce the two and because Khan, well, Khan is Khan, uh, Khan saved Star Trek. Uh, I got to give it to Khan. A vote for Khan. Chris. So if you guys want to hear more about Tony Todd and his experience as old Jake Sisko, you can listen to uh, Life After Trek. We uh, <laughs> <laughs> we interviewed Tony Todd and talked all about that. Um, this this kind of puts me at odds. Um, Khan is my favorite villain of all time, regardless of whatever, just all time. Ricardo Montalban played him expertly, if that's even a word. Um, but The Visitor is my favorite episode of television. Like, of all time. It's one of those episodes that you can give to someone who doesn't like Star Trek. And they can connect with it. And they can connect with it not just on an emotional level, which obviously you can. But you can also connect with it on not an intellectual level, but it shows the best of what sci-fi can be in my opinion. Um, so I'm re- honestly, this is like inner turmoil here. Um, the visitor is one of those episodes that you come across and you're just like, do I really want to watch this? Because you will be so emotionally invested in the story. And I remember watching it the first time and just being devastated by it. And when we talked to Tony, not to give any spoilers, which I'm going to, he, he actually based the pain that that old Jake Sisko felt on uh, an experience he had with his grandmother, who was basically his mother. She passed away two weeks before that. So he drew on that experience for the emotion that's played in that episode. So I, I so wish I could go to R2 on this and or just flip a coin because this is this is literally the 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 roughest, you know, art fight between two characters in Star Trek for me. You can always uh, vote for old Jake Cisco and leave it up to Christy. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Thank you, Damon. I'm going to vote for old Jake Cisco. I um, takes the weight off of me. Perfect. Uh, vote for old Jake Cisco. It's all tied up. Uh, Christy, which one takes the win? Um, well, I agree with everything that everyone has said so far. Um, the Visitor showcases Tony Todd like no other episode in Star Trek. Um, it's his it's it's his best role but it furthers a character that cannot be in this bracket which is Jake Sisko um so i'd say that just stand alone by itself khan has to go through and it's kind of an easy decision for me and khan is moving on through we're on to our next fight uh larry this one is yours it is thomas riker Versus Luoxana Troy. <laughs> well, wow. 
So Thomas Riker is such a cool – It's on one hand, it was gimmicky. Oh, look, it's a twin on Next Generation. But it was uh, – and it was like they used to make fun of the transporter on the original series. After the original series, it was like, oh, we have to do better on our next series. And I have the transporter breakdown and be all the stories, you know, the springboard for story ideas. No more technology screw ups. Let's have the holodeck mess up. And, you know, so it was fun that they had a actually had a transporter go wrong story uh, that, and then had this. But it was incredibly dramatic. And then the, later on to having be a Maki and using him on DS9 was great. And I know Jonathan had a lot of fun with it. And they talked about using him more often and getting him out of prison. And as far as we know, he's still rotting in the Maki prison and, or, the, or whatever. But I just, you know, I just poor early next generation was so in need of some of a shakeup because they were so dreadfully serious at the beginning. And um you know, and I'm trying not to be swayed by the fact that Majel's no longer with us here on all this, but I, I just think that Next Gen mined an awful lot of humor out of having Loxana around when they so needed it so badly, and so I'm I'm just going to come down with Loxana. Loxana Troy gets to vote. Mike? Um, I'll admit I've never been a fan of, uh, of Loxana Troy, um, though I don't think it's so much uh, the character. I think I think she wound up in some some clunker episodes, but but she also did have some some good moments in other episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. But I am going to vote for for Thomas Riker. Um, it's a, I thought it was a really clever idea, um, and it was a very good episode. Uh, but that's not really what we're we're talking about here. If Riker had just been the uh, the character from Next Generation, then I probably wouldn't vote for him. He was different from. Uh, Will Riker, but not different enough. And again, it was more just the concept than the character. But I think uh, when they brought him into Deep Space Nine uh, and you got to see a different side of him and you got to see someone who who very much was not Will Riker and someone who actually kind of had to to fight against the fact that he was not Will Riker and that had to sort of uh, do things on his own and try to define himself uh, ultimately in a very extreme way. Uh, because of that, because of the development of the character that took him into being something other than just, hey, Riker, but a little different and, and really kind of defined him uh, very uniquely, um, I'm going to vote for uh, for Thomas Riker. Uh, vote for Tom Riker. Chris? Uh, between the two, I mean, to- the, the concept of Thomas Riker was actually pretty excellent. The execution, I mean, it was okay. It's one of those things in Star Trek where, hey, let's just slap some different facial hair on him, and he'll be somebody slightly different. Um, but Luaxana Troy, you know, I, the, I, I, as many fans, suffered through the first two seasons of uh, TNG. There were some great episodes, don't get me wrong, but, you know, we all suffered through a lot of it. And for me, the, the shining points, at least a couple of them, were the episodes uh, with Luaxana and I can never pronounce that name right. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Um, they were the, the some of the best episodes in my mind, just because she came on as kind of the comic relief or the slight antagonist with comic relief. Um, they kind of brightened up the episodes. Plus, she's the one that made Captain uh, Picard go to Ryza um, in Captain's Holiday, which is featured in a new poster from Bye Bye Robot. So. <laughs> Dude, I'm a giant douche for plugging all this stuff, but I'm going to go with Luoxana Troy. A vote for Luoxana Troy. No, this is, I love the fact that you just keep doing that. Uh, Christy. But what quadrant is it in, Chris? 
No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's inside baseball. Yeah. We, we... Go ahead, Christy. Okay. Um, well, I think that's funny that the randomizer also put the two uh, Deanna Troy related characters up against each other, and uh. they both are, are kind of like made to, or not, maybe not made, but further um, a character that was already on the show. Um, Tom Stryker giving some a little bit of depth and a different side to uh, Riker and Loxana giving Deanna something to do. Oh my gosh, she can be like, oh my god, mother. Oh my god, mother. And giving some more of that Beta Z mythos. We know more about um, Beta Zoid and Beta Z. But um, she's so vivacious and fun and. Uh, in the very first episode, we, when we meet her, she's, like, going through Betazoid uh, menopause where she <laughs> can't really feel what anybody's thinking and thinks that all the men really want to, like, you know, jump her bones. It's kind of awesome. And she's, she's I was really annoyed with her at first. Like, I, th- I thought she was very annoying, and I thought she was not a good representation of women um, but I, I came to really love her, especially in, um, uh, well, a specific episode that I will talk about in the next round because she's going through. A vote for Luoxana and Mr. Formby. Man, this is tough because uh, I, uh, I, I do have a fondness for Luxana Troy. I really do. And I, I do love the uh, fact that um, when when Tom Riker was initially conceived, uh, they were looking for a way to shake up the bridge crew on the next generation, like Rolaren did. And they thought, you know, we could just promote Riker, give him his own ship, which he should have anyway. But we can keep Jonathan Frakes and we can like promote him to some like Tomsman. And like, he's still on the show and he's mixing things up and he's Riker, but not Riker. And that that always sounded fascinating to me, and I wonder what would have happened if they'd done that. Maybe TNG season six and seven would become watchable for me. But you know what? Everybody's convinced me that uh, Luxana Troy is the way to go on this. So I'm going to go with Luxana Troy because she was fun, and she did color that show, and she did bring a lot of, of joy when things were kind of uh, like Larry said, very serious. And, of course, she got over to Deep Space Nine. And once you mix with the Deep Space Nine crew, I mean, it's on. And she gelled so well. So, fantastic character. And, yeah, let's see her go forward. Uh, on a Troy, moving on to the next round. Yeah, she, she, she is awesome on Deep Space Nine. I love the mess out of her there. Uh, on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is Dahar Master Core versus Elizabeth, Dur- oh, sorry, Elizabeth Derner. Whatever. Uh, it's it's definitely core for me. Um, he was always my favorite of the the three original Klingons, um, and I think a lot of that is due to to John Colicos. Uh, he's he just just such a great kind of vile, Weasley evil performance. Uh, and then when they brought him into Deep Space Nine, uh, brought all three of them, but into Deep Space Nine, I, w- I was absolutely thrilled to see those guys again. Uh, even if I was initially confused by their bumpy foreheads, um, but but he was fantastic, and I loved him in the the Sword of Kalis. Uh, he he plays crazy Klingon very very well, and uh, and I think that 
you know, for me, I love Klingons. It's going to be hard for me to vote against Klingons. Uh, are there any other Klingons on this list? I've already voted for the Dura sisters. Um, but so yeah, for me, it's, it's crazy Klingon all the way. Uh, vote for core Chris. Yeah. Core is pretty awesome. Um, John Colicos also played the original Dr. Uh, Baltar on, uh, Baltar on, uh, um, oh, dude, brain fart. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Galactica. That's what I was going for. And he did play Weasley very well. He played it in both characters. I don't know if that was maybe typecasting or, or what, but he was excellent. And then when he came on Deep Space Nine, like Mike said, he was also excellent playing kind of the washed up um, Klingon warrior. Um, so I'm going to go with Core. Although Daner was played by Sally Kellerman. So I know how Jared's going to vote on this. Um, I've got a pretty good idea. But I'm still going to go with Core. A vote for Core. Uh, Christy. Yeah, but Dana's so forgettable. Like, I, she's pretty, and but she's not even like the main focus of that episode that she's in. It's um, Mitchell, uh, the guy who has the shiny eyes. I mean, she gets shiny eyes eventually, but um, I'm definitely voting for Core. Another vote for Core, Jared. All right, um, Doctor Elizabeth Dana is the sexiest female ever on Star Trek, in my humble opinion. And that's why she's here. And yeah, I put her on the list. And yeah, she was the one name that stayed there while I was trying to correct other names. I kept thrusting Dana forward because she is just so amazing. Her performance is like met up with slouches and like uh, stutters. She is a fantastic character, performed fantastically well on the original series in my favorite episode, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which I secretly hope the new movie is actually a remake of. Um, I'm going to go with Daner um, because she's not Klingon. So there. Uh, vote for Daner <laughs> <laughs> and Larry. Uh, well, uh Gerald, you actually maybe I was going to say it, we have Daner, so we have Sally Kellerman forever linked to Star Trek, which is cool. A pre-hot lips Hulahan Sally Kellerman, um, and did well and did great. And for her to be your favorite babe, and like absolutely no cleavage in that whole show, which is another great thing. But uh, yeah, I just I, I hate to make this about quantity or whatever, but John Colicos is great. Just hearing him say vegetable, you know, that's like one of those classic lines. And having him play, not just, uh, you know, come back on DS9 and be um, uh, old original series, you know, Klingon, but be old, cranky, <laughs> goofy, alcoholic, uh, wacky doodle, uh, Klingon heritage, living legend Klingon was kind of amazing to watch unfold, too. We all get so wrapped up in Aaron DeMercy that, um, that we uh, forget about those two. But on the other hand, you've got to remember that Kor was the archetype Klingon. Gene Kuhn, Aaron DeMercy, that was the first appearance of the Klingons, and he was the first ever uh, Klingon commander before Kang and before Koloth and, and those guys. And according to John Colicos, was, uh, he and, and Fred Phillips kind of just kind of came up with the Klingon look a little bit on their own when they were given kind of a wide direction. Um, so I'm going to come down for core and also throw out that uh, Colicos was also uh, – if you're looking for bad guys, he was also Cromwell in the original Anne of a Thousand Days movie, so uh, which was a role I played in college one time. But uh, I, yeah, I got to come down with Gore. 
And Core is moving on through. We're on to our next fight. Chris, this one is yours. I've, uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this. I, I could if I heard it. It's, uh, what is it, Kivas uh, Fayo versus... Fajo, dude. It's Kivas Fajo. Sorry! It's, it's hard when you read them. When you hear them, you know them. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that name. And then, uh, what is this? Uh, Ani Jital. Yeah. Dude, it, for, for me, it's Kivas Fajo. Saul Rubinek killed that character, and he's an excellent actor on stage and on screen. He's in one of the best Outer Limits episodes ever. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It, it deals with the Holocaust. Um, anybody remember that? Probably not. Anyway, Bueller. look it up. It's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's also named for Lolita, right, Larry? Lolita Faggio? Yes. yes. The last so, name, anyway. Yeah. But uh, no, seriously, though, uh, the most toys, a lot of people rag on that episode, but Saul Rubinek is just fantastic. And I don't think he was originally going to play that character. Somebody else was scheduled okay, for that. Okay, fine. Tell all the cool stories. Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you tell that because I don't know who it was. So I'll let you, you take that. But it's Kivas Fajo. And there's possibly a Kivas Fajo sticker from, coming from Bye Bye Robot. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Vote for Kivas Fajo. I am a giant douche. <laughs> no more of a whore than a douche. Uh, <laughs> Christy. Um. Ani Jatal is another one of those characters where um, it, it, she's there to further the story of, you know, it's more about the doctor and his choices um, than about her. You don't even really see her till the end of the episode, so I don't really know her. But um, Kibis Baja was, that was a great episode. Um... He was hilarious. He's kind of a little Trelaney in it. Um, I'm going to vote for him. Another vote for Faggio. Uh, Jared. All right. Uh, Jatal is here as a Voyager representation. I put her on this list because what's phenomenal about this character is the idea of this character. Some people will complain about Star Trek Voyager and say that... Um, there were so many people in the background that we didn't get to know. Um, so many people that, uh, you know, who had stories that were dropped. And then here we got a character on Voyager who they come right out and say, this is a character that you didn't even know. And this character affected everyone. Everyone had a story about this character. And she died because the doctor couldn't make a choice between saving Harry Kim or saving this other person that he knew very well. And the episode goes further to explain everybody knew this character extremely well. And we as viewers didn't know her at all. And when we talk about these characters and, and who they are and how they affect things, and that's really what this show is about, I feel like this is uh, specifically Voyager, and I think it's particularly daring. And I just think that the ultimate um, contribution that this is to the Voyager mythos is just this huge imaginative forward. It's this fantastic leap. Like, embrace the idea that this was somebody that you could have known on Voyager. Somebody that wasn't there, but was there. You just didn't know about it. And that's why she's here, and that's why I think she should go forward. I love the most toys. I... 
I'm not somebody that like kicks the most toys and like brags on it at all. I think that's one of the best stories that Data ever had. One of the best stories he ever did. But when I go up against Voyager and, and just the beauty of what they created there, I got to go with Voyager on this. So that's my vote. A uh, vote for Jital. Uh Larry. Okay. Uh, number one, anytime any, there's any little spark of brilliance on Voyager in all the – not their fault, I, I, would, I would root for it. And this was one. Uh, what dragged that down for me, it had nothing to do with uh, the actress, but uh, it always annoyed me that this was fifth season Voyager, and they were so cut off from Next Gen and DS9 by that time that they didn't even realize that every time they called her Jatal and Ensign Jatal that they were anglicizing the first last name thing. Her name was Ani Jatal, so like Kira Narice, it should have been Ensign Ani. If that was, you know, or if, if Jatal was her last name, it should have been Ensign Jatal Ani. But anyway, that was like, that was just another thing of, oh, they've, you know, they've lost touch with their canon, their basic stuff. But, you know, apart from that, yeah, that was a great show uh, episode. But for all the reasons uh, Chris and other people said, I, you, you have to go with Kivas Fajra. And the, the thing I will, I will personalize this a little bit more and add one more story to the pile that Chris started to say was, uh, Saul Rubinek was like the 11th hour fill-in replacement character. Uh, a little person, David Rappaport, um, was supposed to play it, and I have a slide somewhere. Um, of course, this story is in the Next Generation Companion, which is still available on Kindle. There you go, Chris. Um, <laughs> but uh, David Rappaport tried to kill himself over the weekend. It was the third or fourth time in his life he did, and he did it a couple more times and then finally did, which is very tragic and sad. But they had... I mean, aside from the fact that they had had a, that costume sized for him, and then Sunday night they found out about this and, and called around madly. And I, I forget which one of the cast brought – it may have been Renee Ashavaria. Anyway, somebody thought to call Saul Rubinek that he, he could come in and handle it, and they were shooting, fitting and, and shooting him on Monday. So when you add that into the factor of that episode, um, it, was, it was just pretty awesome, and I've got to go with him. Another vote for Faggio and Mike. Well, I was going to vote for Faggio because I liked how he abducted Data and then put him in Warehouse 13. But um, I, <laughs> what what Jared said actually uh, made a lot of sense. And uh, that was something something really clever. And, and to create a character that everybody knew uh, except the audience uh, was, was very, very clever. Um, and even though Faggio is moving on, um, I think uh, I will uh, give just a little bit more love to uh, Ani Jital. Uh, vote for Jital, but Fagio is moving on. We are on to our next fight. It's the first unknown of the evening or afternoon or whenever you're listening to it. Uh, it is Ensign Rolaren versus my pick, the, the only pick I get on this damn episode. And uh, I personally believe that this particular character basically helped uh, define the race they're a part of, and that would be Kern. Kern is on this one. It is Ensign Row oh. versus Kern. Christy, that is yours. I was so hoping that we were going to put this on the list, especially since I saw old Jake Cisco, but not Kern. Um, but I'm going to start for Ensign Row Lauren because I really, I, was, I feel like Kern barely got any character development at all. I hated what they did to him at the end. Um, mm. And I just thought it, 
I mean, I guess we can get into that. I, I might speak up a little bit later if somebody has something to say about that. But um, Ensign Row One was, you know, the first, you know, maquis mind that we got to know. We got to see why somebody would join. Um, but um, I'll talk about that later. A vote for Ensign Row, Jared. Let's turn this bitch. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like, um, like Christy, cannot in good conscience go with Kern because of how poorly he was handled when it came time to just kick the character out of the ongoing Trek thing. Uh, I got to go with Ro Laren because uh, she brought, you mean, you talk about how serious they took themselves and Luxana Troy showed up and made it kind of light. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how they didn't have an edge until Rolaren. And Rolaren brought the edge. So I'm going to go with Rolaren, absolutely. Another vote for Ensign Roe. Larry. That, well, Gerald took the point right out of my mouth. Yeah. That was, yeah, I was going to say exactly what Loxana did for him early on. Roe did for them along through there, through all the family and through the uh, the political shows and the family shows. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a little tension on the bridge. And uh, her debut show was great. And they, you know, it was only Michelle Forbes's uh, aspirations to go into movies. And they they talked her into doing the one last show before the finale. And, of course, they wanted Ensign Roe to be the curator. They wanted Ensign Roe to be promoted and be the Bajoran liaison on DS9 and have her and, and call me and have Chief O'Brien go over as the familiar touchstone faces to help launch a new show. And she wanted to do, uh, <clears throat> Crosby wanted to do movies and she did, did several, but, um, they went with it. So yes. And, and yeah, Kern was such a great character all along. I'm not quite as down on, I mean, as a character, it was sad. I understand dramatically what they did with him at DS nine. And in a way they had like 40 billion characters. And so I guess they felt like they had a luxury of, throwing some of them away at the expense of the regulars. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely Ensign Row for me. And the archi- Ensign Row, the archetype of all, but for, you know, you were talking about Maquis, Christy. Ensign Row was just the first Bajoran we ever met. So, there you go. Uh, vote, another vote for Ensign Row. Mike? Uh, I, I've never really cared for Row. I mean, maybe she brought some some edge to the show, but it was uh, an edge that, that I didn't find particularly appealing. Um, she was not I know she was not intended to be likable, but uh, even characters that are supposed to uh, kind of shake things up uh, still can be uh, likable. You know, for me, the best thing about Ro is the fact that she didn't go to Deep Space Nine because I really like Kira a lot more. Um, and also, uh, Kerr is a Klingon. So that's pretty much all I need. <laughs> uh, voting for Kern and Chris. So at this point, it doesn't really matter which way I vote because I'm pretty sure Rose going forward. Um, but I have to add my two cents in because that's what I do. Um, Tony Todd was on Life After Trek, but I'm not going to actually vote for Kern, even though I do like Kern. I think that um, I think that his finale episode in Deep Space Nine started off really strongly with Worf killing him, which was amazing that they would go there. But you know. Him ending up looking basically the same at the end of the episode, and everybody's like, oh, nobody will recognize you. You can go off and be with this other family. 
I just didn't buy it. You know, it just didn't work. Uh, Ro Laren was an excellent character. Um, Michelle Forbes, though, I don't think really appreciated playing Ro from a few uh, other folks that have been to conventions. She's not been super excited about being there um, and talking about Star Trek. She did play Admiral Kane uh, in Battlestar, which was excellent. Uh, Michelle Forbes did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all sums up to me going with Ro Laren, but that's just kind of my backstory on it. So. Uh, vote for Roe, and Roe moves on, and you guys don't like me, and you voted against Kern, my one and only pick in the episode. But hey, fine. Kern's awesome, though. He's Candy Kern. Come on. That's a trick cast thing. He's that's a trick cast. Well, no, he, he's really what, what he's, because Worf is very stoic, and the rest of the Klingons are all wild and crazy, and Kern is the guy that's in between. He's the guy that bridges the gap and makes the Klingons into a full species. Uh uh, it just hurts me that you guys put him out He like held that. together the, the Gowron Civil War faction when they were all also, you know, See? fucked up. Yeah. See? No, uh, I got lots of love for These are all great characters. And we're not, you know. Ah, uh, can hey. a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, though, Ro Laren can actually open a uh, jacket without a zipper. Preemptive yeah. Strike, she gives that little Bajoran kid her jacket. And that's like a, you know, season three on TNG uh, tunic. With no zipper, so yeah, she's on. Did I just blow your mind? Probably. No, you didn't. Okay, <laughs> but you can wear a colored T-shirt in Starfleet. Forget that. <laughs> she's we're the only on. one that ever got to. So. Oh, that's we're, interesting. I didn't know. We're on to our next fight, uh, Mr. Jared Formby. This one is yours. It is Harry Mud versus Lore. <laughs> Wow, I, I'm going to pull a, a Christy here and go, wow, it's amazing that these two characters are going head-to-head. Um, these two characters uh, who are the epitome of just cheesy, blown-out, ridiculously insane Star Trek. And I love Harry Mudd. I love him all day. And for some reason, I feel like uh, lore like transcends that ridiculous antagonist and goes even further and brings to the next generation a lot of the craziness that we enjoyed on on the original show. So I'm going to go with um, Lore on this one. Uh, Vote for Lore. Thanks, Jared. Uh, Larry. Oh, okay. I have to pull uh, sentimental here and go. I, I, one thing I know, uh, Lore was incredible. The, the, you know, another twin show that could have gone badly. Brent, played lore brilliantly. They rung about a lot of lore they could. And the people that were rolling their eyes at, at B9 or B4, or whatever they wound up calling um, Data's survivor in Nemesis, uh, you know, they quite clearly said that there were other and there were three other androids besides assume type androids besides lore and data. Um, so there's actually two rolling around out there, the parts for them. Um, but I just, I, I'm sorry, Harry Mudd was such an, I'm, aside from maybe Cyrano Jones in the original series, and even even into the modern shows, I mean, he had touches of like Loxana, just having sinister comedy, and, and it's much more so in iMud than in uh, Mudd's Women, uh, is such a rare thing in Trek, and I and I, I think we should nurture and support it. So I'm going to go, and poor, and, and they would have brought him back in Next Generation at the beginning, but um, um, I've just gone blank on his name. I want to say something Carmichael, but that's not right. Um, 
Roger Carmel. Yeah, thank you, Roger Carmel. Yeah, Roger Carmel. He died right before um, Next Generation began, but they had planned to use him as they were developing it in Next Gen, which would have been great in some fashion. An Android or a, you know, holodeck or whatever version would have been. So I'm coming down for Harcourt Fenton Mud. A vote for Mud, Mike. This is uh this is another tough one. I I I love Harry Mud, uh, especially in Mud's Women. Um, and and he did bring great uh, comedy and and style, and he's it was just a great looking character. Uh, but I'm gonna vote for Lore, uh, because like it's been mentioned, it, the evil twin could easily have gone wrong. Uh, but but they made it work, and uh, and I especially like him because he really gave Brent Spiner a chance to uh to kind of show off some some acting chops and to to kind of play it broad and, and show us a, a side that he never could as data uh while he did an amazing job uh as data you know he's he's limited in the type of performance that he can give uh, at least until they kind of bring in the emotion chip thing and all that stuff um so because of that because he really gives a great actor a chance to show us some range that uh, his own character could not uh and because really it was a it was a well done version of of an old cliche. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Lore. A uh, vote for Lore, Chris. Dude, Harry Mudd is the archetype for Han Solo. I'm just throwing out that out there. <laughs> Harry Mudd is going is who Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in the new movie. Yes, you know I I heard rumor that at some point they were thinking about, and this is probably just conjecture, but Jack Black is Harry Mudd. That that might be good if they did that, but. No, I, I dig Harry Mudd. He's totally like, you know, whimsical and yeah, dude. Yeah. It's Harry Mudd. Come on. And Brent Spiner can eat it. So Harry Mudd. <laughs> oh, vote for Harry Mudd. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Christy. Which one takes the win? Yeah. I thought I was going to vote for, even though I put Laura on the list, Harry Mudd is like one of my favorite characters of all time. He like, he's like the first, you know, human that we see that's not part of Starfleet, really, and he's like this inept con artist. Oh, my God. Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd is so amazing. Um, Harry Mudd. And Harry Mudd takes the win and moving on into the next round. On to our next fight. Larry, this one is yours. It is Matt Decker, Commodore Matt Decker, versus Agent Sloan. Oh, I get to start this off. Okay, great. Uh... Sloan was a great character. I love the mind-fucking games they did with his character in, um, and I've gone blank on the first DS9 episode, and all that they mined with that. And I know it was another great way that DS9 got to angle this, but I have to tell you, I'm going to pull the personal card here. And I didn't realize this. You know, William Wyndham just passed away a few days ago. I wrote a piece at my uh, trekklandblog.com about him. And and one of the reasons why... uh, Doomsday Machine is one of my two favorite original series episodes, and I didn't think about it in these terms. I always thought about, oh, the great – I always loved the music in the show, which, of course, Matt Decker had nothing to do with. But I didn't re- – I'd forgotten, and I revisited just exactly how great – even though we love to say, you know, there was, but not anymore. I mean, you know, make fun of that in a way, but it's like loving fun. And really, on a, on a TV one-hour show where you walk around in pajama uniforms, I'm talking about a 60s perspective as a working actor – for him to come in and play a, a guy on the edge, you know, and pull and pull in the Captain Quig Bogart 
twisting the microtapes like the like the balls in Kane Mutiny and, and just the whole thing. That was I it didn't dawn on me till recently and I probably knew this when I was a kid, but coming back to it again, that was the one guest star that had the biggest impact on me as a memorable character and as a character in any Star Trek episode and, until the next gen era and and even more today probably. So I, you know, um, um, and I've gone blank on the actor. What's his face is Sloan. I love the mind fuck that that gave you on DS9, and they wrote it well, and they had a lot of fun with it. But just as somebody that knocked it out of the park, and was tragic, and then a meanie, and then tragic, gave us the reason for the best go to hell McCoy look ever in the series. Um, you know, I, I got to go with with the poor Commodore. A uh, vote for. Commodore Decker, uh, Mike. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to. Uh, I think I'm going to agree. Uh, and I, I love Sloan. Um, I actually almost put him on this list, uh, but but then as I thought about it a little bit, and one of the the kind of uh, conflicts that that I think we have with this particular uh, geek fight is how much of it are we reacting to a character versus reacting to the the episode in general or the concept. Uh, and as I thought about it, I realized it wasn't really so much Sloan that I was I was really digging, but the the concept of uh, was it Section Thirty One? Is that what mm, it's called? Good, good point. Yeah. Um, if if you had put a different character and a different actor in there, I probably still would have connected in the same way if they had written. I mean, he's he's almost an anti character because he's he's the ep- epitome of a spy, and that he's kind of almost blank in a lot of ways. Um, but but Matt Decker. Uh, you know, again, and maybe I just have a thing for, for, you know, crazy and, 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 and broad. Um, but, but he did that so well and it was so believable. And, you know, Christy had mentioned that Harry Mudd was, uh, was a, an example of, of a human that did not fit, you know, Starfleet. But this was to me, at least, and you know, I obviously saw the, these out of order back in syndication. Um, for me, just it's like seeing a, a Starfleet captain be this crazy was just kind of, you know, that, that was just mind blowing. I mean, you really wouldn't think that. Uh, so it, it was a great idea, a great character. And, you know, ultimately that particular character is responsible for giving us a uh, will Decker and star Trek, the motion picture, which uh, I, I still want to give some love to. So uh, I will vote for Matt Decker. Uh, vote for Matt Decker, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to go with Matt Decker too. I do love agent Sloan. Um, he's the character that pops up in DS nine that just kind of comes in and just totally just F's everything up. You know, he just comes in and shakes the whole thing and, you know, kind of resets everybody. Um, William Sadler played agent Sloan. Uh, Larry was looking for that. Um, it, it didn't come off the top of my head. I used a little bit of uh, Google there. Um, I knew it. I just couldn't come up with it like you, but, um, uh, William Sadler, uh, played, uh, the bad guy in Die Hard Two which was pretty awesome. Yeah, sort of awesome. And then he played the Grim Reaper. Yeah, he played the Grim Reaper in Bill and Ted's uh, Bogus Journey, which was not so awesome, but they did show Vasquez Rocks in Bill and Ted's. So (laughs) it all comes around. And they actually featured the episode Arena in that movie. I'm really sad that I know that much about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. But um, so, dude, all of that ridiculousness to say that I'm going to go with Commodore Decker. Another vote for Commodore Decker. Uh, Christy? Um, I was going to vote for Commodore Decker to begin with, um, mostly because 
the thing that um, the original series did so well and was all, well, it partly because of the formatting and television then, but um, all the one-off characters, they were, they were complete individuals and they were all memorable, but he was the first, like, real acting that we saw of somebody like torment like he just lost his entire crew and he just imagine being so devastated that these people that you were in command of that were your responsibility just vanished into this unknown giant thing machine well they didn't know it was a machine i guess at the time that it was happening possibly um but um it's not that he's crazy it's that he's so consumed with guilt um that it drives him to to you know feel every emotion a human can feel um but i will say this about sloan i'm not really i didn't really care for those episodes but the thing that i liked about it which is something that you guys didn't mention was the whole thing about sloan is that at the end of his his story arc um you find out that he's just um manipulating people to get back at this one Romulan, right? Um and we're left questioning whether section thirty one actually exists again and it kinda cleans that up, so we don't know, maybe. But um yeah. <laughs> Commodore Decker. Uh vote for Decker. Jared, is it a clean sweep? Um, you know, I, I wish it could be, but the problem, the problem is this is William Sadler, and this is Bill and Ted's bogus journey, which, what, what do you mean this is awful? What do you mean this isn't as cool as the other one? This, you know what, you, you can, like, debate and you can, like, tear apart, like, multiple film franchises, but Bill and Ted is completely pristine. I mean, those those two things married together, that is an awesome trip, man. And nothing uh, is a letdown and nothing is less than the other. Those are equals. And I hope, I hope there's going to be another one. Um, William Sadler playing that part was great. And no, I don't think that it's a, a concept that was bigger than a character. I think that what Christy brought into this conversation where are we, does it exist or does it not? I mean, that only delves deeper into what I think is enjoyable about the concept of Section 31 and the concept of Sloan. I, I'm going to vote for Sloan on this one because Section 31 really did a lot to shake up Star Trek, and a lot of people, like, totally, like, hated on that and, and ripped into it. So I love that DJ Sign had an angle like that, and I love that it was William Sadler that brought us that angle. And Enterprise alluded to that very same section. So I got to think of canon that is part of it. So I'm going to go with Sloan. Uh, vote for Sloan, but Commodore Matt Decker is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Mike, this one is yours. It is Captain Jellico versus Ensign Saito. Isn't it Saito or is it Sito? Sito, I think. Okay. Sito. Uh, another tough one. Um, you know, Cito is from, from one of my, uh, favorite episodes, uh, Lower Decks. I mean, she was also in, um, God, what was it called? I can't remember the First other one. Duty. Was Wesley. First Duty. Uh, a great character in both episodes, but really in 
in in lower decks i mean it that's heartbreaking you know very few times in star trek even even when major characters die have i have felt sad when it happens i mean i just generally i don't tend to feel that way when i watch a lot of movies because maybe i'm just detached enough to be like well it's, you know it's a fictional character and hell they can bring anybody back but when when she died it was just it really really moved me but uh, i'm gonna vote for for jellico and uh you know I, i've talked about him before i think in best captain uh and and the reason that i really like jellico is because he really brought to me the idea that there really are different styles and kinds of of leadership he was very much an antagonist uh in uh his episodes but he he really got got the job done i mean he was a very different style than picard i almost kind of look at it and go well what if picard had never uh made it out of it was chain of command was that one right right that, that title of those i'm not good with the titles what if he had never made it out and jellico is is the new captain of the enterprise i mean what kind of stories would would that give um he he still accomplished his mission uh but he was just very different from picard and that's not something that i'd really thought about uh the characters didn't click with him uh because he was very different but he wasn't he wasn't really wrong uh, I think the great comparison you can make is Picard's, uh, you know, basic command was uh, make it so, and Jellicoe's was get it done. And they're saying the exact same thing, except Picard says it in kind of, a, I mean, a Shakespearean kind of eloquent way, and uh, and Jellicoe's is just direct, get it done. That's what he asks, and that's what he asked of his crew, and we didn't react to it well because he wasn't Picard. The crew didn't react to it well because he wasn't Picard. But you know what? Not everybody's going to be Picard. And, and that really, that idea that leadership and being a captain can take so many forms, uh, especially in an org- organization like Starfleet, that really appealed to me. And even though I started off that episode thinking Jellicoe was a dick, uh, by the end, well, you know, he's a dick, but he's he's the right kind of dick for, for the type of commander that he is. So uh, I, I really like Jellicoe a lot. He really kind of opened my my thoughts as to what a, a leader on Star Trek can be. A uh, vote for Jellicoe. Uh, Chris? You know, uh, Jellicoe is pretty badass. He's totally that, that uh, captain that I would expect more captains to be like. Picard's a statesman. Um, Ronnie Cox, freaking awesome, you know, Robocop, he totally gets killed by Ed 209. And there's a Jellico poster coming from Bye Bye Robots. No, no, there's no. not. But okay. but Captain Jellico was brought on the bridge by Natalia Nagalich, who was on Life After Trek. So we all bring it full circle. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> no, I, I totally dig Jellico. I mean, yeah, we are, you know, the first time we meet him, he's, okay, he's a dick. But... He's not really a dick. He just wants to get this thing done. And he knows how to handle the Cardassians. He's the one guy in the Federation that really knows how to manipulate the manipulators. So I'm going to go with uh, Captain Jellico. Plus Ronnie Cox. Play, he plays a mean guitar and banjo. So uh, A vote for uh, Captain Jellico. Uh, Christy? Um, I agree with all the things that have been said so far. And um, I have like little notes that I take for these things, and uh, I only have one thing written down next to Theta, which is, "Oh my God, the end of the lower decks." I'm gonna vote for her. That was is beautiful. 
is the best ending to any character, the best send-off that could ever be. Um, I, I, I think I read something once that they were planning on bringing her back since they never actually found a body, just debris mm-hmm. from an escape pod, um, bringing her back on DS9, but I guess they didn't. But that would have been a good idea. A vote for Saito. Mr. Jared Formby. Um, Ethan Cito is uh, the the moment that made my heart drop further down than the death of Spock. Ethan Cito, that whole thing was just just awesome. I uh, I hear all these arguments for Jellico, and I think they're really uh, prolific, and I think they're really really good. Um, but the Infancito factor, this concept that, and this is what we're talking about, are these characters that are affecting the stories. You know, and it's not about the actors playing them. It's about these characters and where they take the characters we all love and enjoy. And I tried this argument earlier with Voyager, but since nobody likes Voyager, it didn't go through. Infancito, seriously, how, he, how she affected Worf? is completely insane and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons I watch Star Trek at all. If there weren't Infancitos, I, I don't even know. I, I, I would probably just put it on a shelf with Battleon 5. I mean, these characters are so well thought out. They're so well developed. And they're just so ultimately poetic. And they serve, they serve such a wonderful story that if they're not going forward, I don't know what we're talking about tonight because I don't want to talk about actors and their performances. I want to talk about these moments that Star Trek brings us, which are just so all-encompassing and so beautiful that they're just untouchable. So I'm going to go to Infancito here, and fuck y'all, Janeway should have been on Best Captain and not Jellica. I'll vote for Infancito. Cito, it is all tied up. It comes down to you, Larry. Which one takes the win? Oh, wow. This is, you know, okay, I can't say this in midstream, but you really ought to have a category sometime, because we're, we're comparing, like, apples and big apples here sometimes. And uh, actually, well, I think you should sometime do a, car- a, ca- a category where it's best, like, one-off, like, completely one-off guest stars, because sometimes quantity is hard to judge when people... Uh, Cita was amazing. I had forgotten just for a moment about uh, her impact on Worf until we were talking about it a minute ago. And yes, they did think about bringing her back on as Next Gen was winding down. They thought about bringing her back on DS9 as another carryover to help launch DS9 the second year. Um, but I just, uh, I, I just, um, I, I just think Ronnie Cox was amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it back to Jellico. He did have it was a. One appearance, but it was a two-parter, so we got to do that. And trivia time, uh, Jellico was named for the British fleet commander at the Battle of Jutland in World War One. by the way. But I think one of the things, and, and this isn't about Ronnie Cox or the character, but the writer's intent, too. They really went out of their way to make him we, – we all talk about Jellico as a bad guy, and, and at most you say, well, he just had a different command style. He was brusque. But they, and I mean – and the script was Ron Moore – went out of their way to give him some soft – I mean, if you remember, there was an early scene where he actually was warm with Riker before Riker got pissed at him, before they banged heads. And there was a deleted scene 
uh, where Jellicoe and Jordy are bonding. And if you remember, Jordy didn't really have a big deal with, with him. I mean, he got along fine. It was also not, not just the fact that, look, here's Jellicoe, not Picard, but here's uh, different people of the regular crew reacting differently to him. Riker's all pissed off that Jordy and Data are, are doing pretty good. But just for cool sake, and I'll shut up, Jellicoe had a scene with Jordy where they talked about, Jellicoe says he played rugby at the academy with Jordy's the a captain Zimbata on the victory, who was Jordy's old ship. So it was like a bonding moment. And they, it was another thing. It went away for time, but it was another thing where they were trying to set you up with that. Here's, here's Jellico. He's not a cardboard character, bad guy, captain. He's, he's a warm guy. So I'll, I, I'm going to come down with, uh, I'll, I'll come down with Jellico. I can do that. Hey, didn't, uh, didn't, uh, Jordy also, uh, connect with him on that whole Saturn run thing in the shuttlecraft too? Yeah. Yeah, and plus so, we got yeah. Angelico is the reason that Troy is back in blue. So, yeah, oh, that's right. He that's right. He he said you can't wear those low cut tops on on a bridge anymore. You need to be in uniform. Yeah. And he made oh, him okay. get rid of the fish in the ready room too. So. Yeah, although they they didn't mean for that to come off as harsh as it. He played it harsher than they meant to have it because it came off being like the, whatever warmth you were getting from him then saying ditch the fish or whatever he said get rid of the fish it came off really brusque and we hated him again so anyway that's awesome but Jellico, moving on we're on to our next fight Chris this one is yours it is Ishka also known as Moogie I want my Moogie versus Trelane wow that's actually pretty tough for me I actually dig Moogie a lot of people make fun of uh, Moogie and um, <clears throat> the actress that played not not the original Moogie, but later on she passed away. Larry can probably fill in the the name here. Um, Larry. Uh, uh, Cecily Adams. There you go. Okay. Don Adams' yeah, no. daughter, who was a casting agent. Yeah. And they used to do a uh, a pretty cool like Ferengi family like um, uh, Ferengi family like, hour. Skit. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the conventions with Max and her and and uh, Armin and anyway. Um, you know, I, Trelane though, I mean, he's like iconic. He is an iconic TOS character. If anybody like remembers a villain from TOS, it's probably going to be Trelane. I use villain kind of loosely there. Um, but I'm totally going to throw a curveball. And because Jared Formby was a Ferengi, I'm going to vote for Moogie. Uh, vote for Moogie. Uh, Christy. I didn't initially feel like this was going to be a hard fight. When I first saw the brackets, um, because Trillane is one of my favorites, and when people um, reference Star Trek in television, a lot of times um, they do a riff on the Squire of Gothis episode. But um, the more I thought about it, the more the Ishka really kind of went into my brain. I... Um, she really annoyed me, um, and but she's the only example example of uh, like strong feminism. But it's so heavy handed. Uh, the whole Ferengi um, women basically can't do anything, uh, own anything, do anything, wear clothes, all that. Um, and Moogie, Moogie was a really she, you know, she, you know basically made made all that was the start of the feminist movement for the Ferengi, which I love. So um, I feel kind of pressured to vote for it, being the only girl on the panel. Um, so I guess I'll vote for movie. You should just say Jared Formby was a Ferengi. Go with that <laughs> logic. 
No. <laughs> a vote for Moogie. Uh, Mr. Formby. Thanks for not going with that logic. Um, <laughs> uh, man, you know, I was like all set. Like I never pre-planned these fights. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll just go with Trelane because, you know, Trelane's like a, a big classic cool thing. But, you know, now the way the fights are going, I think I'm just going to go with Ishka because Ishka was a mad contribution to free culture. And it's funny that it would all boil down to, like, one character, like, being able to whisper and, and manipulate things and get things really running for uh, the Ferengi females and that whole situation. And I, I think she's, you know, a, a really good example of a Ferengi first-wave feminism. You know, you know, later on in the convention of this recent Star Trek convention, I saw pictures on Facebook. Apparently, like, there's, like, a... Uh, another wave of Ferengi feminism where like just they just wear a cape and like censor their uh, their breasts and uh, everything below which uh, I think is funny because uh, everybody knows it's all smooth down there there's no real Ferengi genitalia but uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Ishka on this one absolutely another vote for your Moogie uh, Larry oh yeah Max is going to be so uh thrilled to hear this. Like, if I'm not mistaken, I may have been one who suggested Ishka for this or Moogie, whatever. Anyway, here's a great one where the one versus several less than ten would have been great because it is it's insane, as iconic as Trelane is and the whole thing of, you know, Q is really related to Trelane, wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of a thing. And, and William Campbell. And I got to throw this out. I was in grad school and directing and stumbled across a Gore Vidal play called Visit to a Small Planet, which is really a political thing. If you know the Jerry Lewis vehicle, it's totally a vehicle. They they totally bastardized the play to make this Jerry Lewis goofball movie. But the original play is very politically, satirically um, uh, It's set in the 50s. Anyway, it's about – and stop me if you've heard this before – about an alien who is so advanced, he plays with the history of other planets, and he, he's watching Earth, and he means to arrive in the American Civil War, and he comes to the wrong time period, and he comes in the middle of the Cold War with all the nukes, and he instead decides to let America and Russia have a, have a, have a uh, bomb each other just for his own amusement until they finally convince him not to. So, you know, stop me. For, so I thought, for one thing, I thought, oh, wow, well, this is a total ripoff of Gore Vidal's movie, but it's, it's so well done, I don't care. And having said all that, yeah, when you stop and think about Ishka, and she's like a one-woman, <laughs> you never think about Ferengis and feminism and all that, but what she did for a whole culture, and in, you know, the ongoing uh, once you know, well-intended and then uh, sadly fallen upon hard times of comic relief, you know, rescued by uh, Armin and Max and all of them in DS9 days, what they did for the Ferengi and, and being in the right place at the right time in one woman. Um, I, I, this is, I think of all of these for me personally, this is the heartbreaker because Trelane is so emotionally there, but I think in the bigger spirit of how we define things, I got to go with Ishka too. Uh, another vote for Ishka. Hey, real quick, who played, it was Andrea, um, geez, she Martin. played Moogie Martin from SCTV. From, and that's, yeah. SCTV. Yeah. yeah. And gotcha. she couldn't okay. stand the uh, makeup and the whatever, so. Oh, that's why she didn't come back? Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. that's This is why we have Larry Nimichak on the show, folks. Which, uh, Mike, is it a clean sweep? Uh, it is not. Um, I agree with everything everyone has said here. Um, 
and uh, I, I love the character. I, I love, like, normally I'm not into a lot of parent and child dynamic uh, storylines, but the way that she interacted with, with Quark is just absolutely fantastic. And every logical part of me says Moogie, but uh, I don't often do this. But it, for me, it does boil down to a very simple thing. Uh, I absolutely loved Trelane when I was a kid. And maybe it was because Trelane was a kid. Um, and maybe I wished that I, I was Trelane. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, it's just that that factor is he was just so much fun. Uh, when, when they released Star, Star Trek, the original series on DVD originally, they put like two episodes on a disc and they were 15 bucks and it was ridiculous. And there was no way I was going to buy uh, all of them. But I, I just bought a few of, of the episodes and one of them was the disc that had the Squire of Gothos on it because I, I just absolutely love love the, the feel and the vibe of that character and the way that he, he played off the uh, Kirk and, and, and Spock and McCoy. And and also, and, and a lot of people may not realize this, but uh, Jared Formby was an infinitely powerful child. <laughs> I'll vote for Trelane. But Moogie Ishka is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is Tandem, uh, what is it, Okana versus Elizabeth Kutler? I'm just messing around, Cutler. <laughs> Go ahead, Christy. All right, well... I um I don't really care for either of these characters. <laughs> um so I'll vote for the Enterprise character, but also because she supposedly in another timeline gets with Flocks and I really like Flocks. Aw. A vote for Cutler. Uh Jared. I'm gonna go with Elizabeth Cutler in this particular situation. Um not only because uh, the, the actress, I think, was awesome, and I love what she brought to the phrase, where she was just like a peripheral crewman and would get involved in the adventures and, and you know, be on the outside and, and affecting. But the crush she was nurturing for Dr. Flock was just really, really fun to watch. And it gave John Billingsley so much fun to do. And, and I read this really awesome thing from her where she said that it'd be really easy for her crush to be on one of the hunky guys on Enterprise, but because it was with the uncle, she thought it was particularly creepy and really fun to, pro- to play. So uh, I'm going to go with Elizabeth Color on this because of the crushing on Dr. Blocks, which I thought was pretty cool. Another vote for Cutler. Larry. Yeah, this one isn't too difficult for me. I mean, Thaddeus O'Connor was it was kind of a disappointment. You know, Billy Campbell played Okona. He was runner-up for Riker, actually, in the original casting. And then he's gone on to have a really good career since then. He was the Rocketeer early. And and I'm not being swayed by the fact that Kelly Waymeyer, who's the actress that played Cutler, had one of those really sudden deaths, which is why you never saw her again after a certain point. I think she had three appearances, which is very sad. And they kept mentioning her later on. But uh, she had three appearances, and, and what they did with the the Flocks Cutler thing was really sweet, and Enterprise desperately needed that kind of thing. And uh, I'm not going to take that away, and this may be the one bright spot for Enterprise, which shouldn't have anything to do with it, but it may wind up. So I'm a vote for Cutler. I'm glad to see uh, her on here. Another vote for Cutler. Mike? Uh, I didn't watch uh, all of Enterprise, um, and I w- I'm really completely drawing a blank on this character. If she only had three episodes, it's 
possible that uh, I, I never saw her. Actually, I'm not really a big fan of, of Okana either, but uh, I will vote for him because he, uh, well, he, he banged Terry Hatcher before she was a desperate housewife, before she was Lois Lane, and before they were real and spectacular. Uh, vote for Okana and Mr. Chris Wood. Poor, poor Bill Campbell. So close to being Riker, and he ends up being a pirate of Penzance version of Han Solo. <laughs> you know, he honestly, though, I got to say, the fabulous Okana is one of my favorites from season two. Season yep. two, right? Yeah. Well, the fabulous Okana was a deleted episode, but the outrageous Okana was in season. Two. Outrageous Okana. Thank you for correcting me, Larry. Thanks. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> Okana was a whole different concept. <laughs> No, it totally was. Now, Bill Campbell, here's the funny thing. The guy that played Trelane was also William Campbell, and Thaddean O'Connor is William Campbell as well. Anyway, I put uh, Thaddean O'Connor on here, and um, even though I do like Cutler, she was in Seinfeld. You know, the pastrami is the most sensual of the salted meats for all the Seinfeld fans out there. Um, And her her untimely death, it's really unfortunate, but... uh, Dude, he's rocking like he's rocking bangs and a ponytail, and then he's got like a vest and a puffy shirt. So come on, it's Thaddy and Okana. Oh, vote for Okana, but Cutler is moving on through. We're on to our next fight, Jared. This one is yours. It is Sarek versus Goran Agar. Goran Agar. Wow, you know it's like the randomizer, like. Uh, put these names against each other, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn. All right, so I'm going to, like, approach this as Sarek, the character that I know. The character I know is somebody who um, held it against Spock, that he joined Starfleet, that held it against Spock, that he had a human fight. For fuck's sake, it's like his first memory. When he's born, Sarek is, like, so human. And this is, like, the most traumatic thing to happen for Spock. And, yeah, it's cool for Vulcans to see that and to know that. Like, I don't know my first memory when I was born, but Vulcans seem to have it that together, and that's awesome. And, wow, Sarek is hardcore. And the payoff in Star Trek Four when he's like, hey, you know, maybe that was an error. Maybe you do rock. Maybe you are awesome. Is fantastic. All of this great Sarek stuff is disregarded in the new Abrams Star Trek, when they choose to have, you know, Sarek, you know, apologize, or not apologizing, but speaking to young baby Spock about, well, hey, you know, you're going to have to choose your own choice. It's like, what? You know what? Fuck you, dude. The Sarek I know would have been, like, stone cold, like, you are a Vulcan, dude. You need to, like, get that together. I'm not your crying human mom. And because they got it so wrong, I'm going to use that as an excuse to go with Garanagar. Garanagar is why the Jem'Hadar are cool. Without Garanagar, the Jem'Hadar and Deep Space Nine are totally terrible villains. Without Garanagar, there's no potential for anything outside of just kill Maine, kill Maine. Garanagar is what gives all of us as viewers hope 
that there could be some aspect of the Jim Hadar that could be exploited in any way at all. It's what makes the Jim Hadar cool. That episode of Hippocratic Oath, where there is a Jim Hadar first who is walked away from the Dominion, who sees that they're being controlled through a drug, but he's beaten it, and now he needs to know why. He's totally mechanical about it and just needs to have the answer. And when it all falls down, there is no answer. And he just says, hey, look, dude, you were helping me out, but now you've got to run for your life because I'm going to kill every other Jem'Hadar on this planet. It's awesome. It gives the Jem'Hadar texture. And I think that this is a Star Trek concept that absolutely needs to go forward. Have a day. A vote for Garanagar. Uh, Larry. <laughs> well, that was an, an elegant, uh, eloquent, uh, yeah, reevaluation, uh, defense nomination of Garanagar, because that was an incredible episode. You know, he was a genetic mutant, and so he had some distance and was all that. But I, I the last thing I'm going to do is hold JJ against Mark Leonard and, and Sarek. And I mean, so, I get caught in the trap sometime of going. There's a there's a Mal Captain Reynolds line from Firefly where he says, uh, "Why are we still talking about this?" And there's times when I have to remember that we do still have to talk about things because otherwise I go, "Why is Sarek on this list?" It's like, "Oh wait, that's right. He technically is ten under ten appearances." Although it just feels like he should have been in forty episodes. He until they did the movies, he had the one appearance in Journey to Babel uh, as Sarek and. And you just felt like he was in 15 more because that was such a pivotal Spock and Vulcan culture and Star Trek, you know, pivotal moment. And and then the the movie appearances were just icing on the cake. And, uh, you know, the J.J. flick aside, oh, the Kelvin blew up. That's why um, I, I, I have to I have to go. I have to go. With, I can't dis, I cannot dishonor Sarek. And uh, and. This this came back to me again because I just was going through my interview. My very first ever celebrity interview with Star Trek ever was in 1986 with Mark Leonard, and uh, which is available on the new CD. I just put that no. Um, and I, anyway, that aside, yeah, I, I have to. I have to. I have to. Uh, it's a logical thing to do. I have to go with Sarek. Uh, a vote for Sarek, Mike. Uh, I, I'm also going to vote for Sarek. Um... And, and and yeah, this it, it, at first you you kind of don't think of him as a minor character because his his impact uh, on on Star Trek uh, makes him seem like he's he's much much more. But yeah, there was just the uh, one appearance in the original series. Um, what three of the movies I believe he was in? Yeah, he was in three, yeah, three. four, and six. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh and then also his appearances on on next generation which which really sealed the deal for me um and and we get this very very rich character the the pride that he has in his refusal to uh accept uh what has happened to him i mean it really kind of points to uh well, you know what's not just a vulcan flaw of pride but but the human flaw of of pride and i think throughout it despite you know Sarek insisting that the Vulcans are, are something apart from humans. He continually shows those similarities uh, because of, of that stubbornness that he has. And, and actually I like Sarek in, in the new movie. I mean, it's not the same Sarek. Uh, I don't think we can really say that they got it wrong because the choice was to make some, make him a different character. 
Um, you know, yeah, we can argue, yeah, that it wouldn't have changed that much because of the Kelvin. That was all just a bullshit reason to kind of make it connected. This is a completely different Star Trek. Um, but that Sarek, uh, judged on his own worked really well too. I mean, in the beginning, you know, he tells Spock that he married Amanda because it seemed the logical thing to do. But then after her death and the death of Vulcan, even he breaks down and says it was because he loved her. Uh, Sarek in both incarnations is a very loving father in, in the way that a Vulcan can be loving. Um, but, uh, it's just played in two very, very different ways. Uh, both, I think very good ways, even if they don't necessarily fit together. So Sarek, uh, another vote for Sarek, Chris, uh, it's gotta be Sarek dude. Unification part one, Sarek is dealing with that, um, mental disorder. I can't re- remember the name of it. Uh, very similar to Alzheimer's. Um, <clears throat> you know, oh, as a kid, no. what's that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you probably know the name of it. No, I was going to say it just blanked on me too. So, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, Bendai, uh, Bendai, thank yeah, you. It, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, dude, Sarek. I remember. I didn't watch tons of the original series. I mean, I watched it. I tried to like it as much as I could, being a kid from the '80s watching something from the '60s. I loved it, um, but some of the stuff was just a little bit too cheesy for me. I know I lose some geek cred there. I do love the original series, but uh, okay, I've said it. Um, Sarek was one of those memorable characters. I had a father who was kind of overbearing. I had a, you know, very stoic father. I could totally identify with Sarek. Um, and then he had his human moments, which were just epic. And in JJ's movie, I think Ben Foster played Sarek. I think that's the, the the crowd. There you go. Yeah. He honestly, he was, he was just like Mark Leonard. In that he had a very small part, but it was a very like, like, amazing part. Very, you know, it had a great impact on the the storyline, an emotional impact, just like Mark Leonard. So I got to go with Sarek. Another vote for Sarek and Christy. Yeah, um, I'm gonna vote for Sarek too. Uh, Mark Leonard plays another one of my favorite characters on the original series that's not Sarek that's not on the list but um, I think it stands um, he stands as, as such a pillar that he can be in only a few episodes and we, we feel like we know Sarek um, and not to mention that everything that everyone has said so far it, it was also the first mixed race marriage in Star Trek that it was it was how about that? I mean, come on. Sarah gets another vote. Yeah. He's moving on. Uh, on species. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mixed species. Uh, uh, Larry, this fight is yours. It is Commander Shran. Uh, everybody loves Commander Shran. Versus Damon Bach. Okay, hey, can, well, I, can I actually request a break here? We're I'm, two fights away from the break. Dude, I just had two oil cans of High Life. So. <laughs> Go pee. All right, I'll be right back. You can edit this out. Sorry, guys. Don't hate me. We're not going to edit it. We're going to leave I it in. Say, don't you dare edit it. Just take us with you. Well, some people <laughs> do, but go go ahead, Larry. Hopefully, he'll be back in time. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, we you want a clean start then? Uh, no, we're probably not going to edit this out. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Warts and all. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be brief. This is easy for me. Um, 
you know, we've already spoke about legitimizing the Ferengi and building them back up, and Bach was one of the ones that actually survived that downturn in Next Gen and made something out of it. Uh, but I'm sorry, I have to go with, number one, we need an Andorian on here. There's no other Andorian really to do that, but Shran and Jeff Combs, this may wind up being his one, you know, several different varied factors, none of which stands out aside from just the fact that the, the character was awesome. It was, when we finally got to start developing Andorians, when Rick Berman got off, uh, when they decided they were comfortable with them. And he was awesome. And they had a handle on the character and the whole pink skin sneer and all that. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. We've got plenty of other Ferengi to point to if you want to go there. Uh, I got to go with Shran. I'll vote for Shran. Mike? Uh, Jared may may feel that uh, bringing the actor into it is, is not appropriate in a discussion of, of character. Um, and if we're going to be very strict about that, um, I, I can see that. But for me, I think you have to include that uh, because the, the actor and the performance is, is so much a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, uh, this is the representation of, of, of Jeffrey Combs. Uh, I would have loved to have put Wayun on here, but Wayun had too many appearances. I actually was going to right. put Shran on, but I, I figured that he was in more than 10. I originally put Liquidator Brunt uh, just so we could talk about Jeffrey Combs some. Um, and then when, when Shran was put on here, I actually pulled uh, Brunt off because I didn't want two Jeffrey Combs on here. Um, so, you know, just if, if for no other reason, uh, just in honor of, of that actor who has brought so much to Star Trek in, in, in small ways, but yet big ways, uh, that, that to me is enough to move him forward. Hell, and basically I'm voting for Wayun. Um, but also Shran was a great character. I mean, I'm not a big fan of, of Enterprise, uh, but he really, you know, we talked about these other characters who kind of gave depth to, uh, the races that they represented. And he really did that for, uh, for the Andorians. I mean, I, I was not a fan of enterprise, but I really was a fan of this character and of his performance. Uh, he was, he's a noble character. He's a, a character that, that, you know, fights for what he really believes. And he's just, you know, yeah, he's kind of a dick, but, uh, but you know, a lot of good characters are kind of dicks. So one, because he really is a good character on his own. And two, uh, just because it's Jeffrey Combs, uh, I'm going to vote for Shran. Uh, vote for Shran. Are you back from your high life break there, Chris? I totally was going to leave you guys hanging and think that I was still on there. <laughs> and do my stuff. Um, <clears throat> so I don't remember who it's against, but it's Shran against somebody. It doesn't really matter. Damon Bach. Okay, that doesn't make it better. Um, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs was on an episode of Life After Trek. Thank you very much to someone else on the panel for that. Um, dude, Jeffrey Combs is amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I mean, we have to honestly, put Jeffrey Combs on here. One of the best actors of all time. Can I just throw that out there? If you guys haven't seen him play in his one man play, uh, The Raven, mm-hmm. he is phenomenal as an actor and a really super nice guy. And Shran, honestly, Shran is a fantastic character too. He was one of the like shining stars in the first season. I think he showed up in the first season of Enterprise, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No, he was absolutely amazing. So Jeffrey Combs all the way, and I got to throw this little anecdote in. Um, we have a blue and white FJ cruiser, uh, and we were going to get personalized plates that say Shran and put a little antenna on it. I don't know if anybody else is getting that, but. We're totally going to do that. So, Shran. Shran all the way. 
another vote for Shran. Mr. Formby, why are they wrong? Uh, I think Christy goes next. Uh, did yeah, you skip Christy? Oh, wait, I did skip Christy. I'm sorry, Christy. Oh. Go ahead. That's cool. Um, I, I was going to vote for Shran anyway because of Jeffrey Combs. Um, but, I mean, Damon Box totally legitimate for being on this list. Um, you know, he's the first Ferengi we really get to know, and there's, like, a backstory between him and Picard, and there's some pretty cool weapons or gadgets that he uses. I mean, um, he should be on the list, but, uh, Tran, Tran, Tran. Uh, vote for Tran. <laughs> uh, no, no vote for Damon Bach. Um, <laughs> Jared. Okay, so the, the, there have already been references to the fact that I played a Ferengi um, before on this show, and I've been saving it off. But truthfully, if you are going to be approaching playing a Ferengi in any kind of real way, Damon Bach is a huge contributor, and so is Quark. It's like you got Quark, you got Damon Bach. These are the two kinds of Ferengi there are. You got like the super intense, super crazy Damon Bach, and you got Quark, the super agreeable, super like character developed, like et cetera, et cetera, and then on down the line. But Damon Bach brings to Star Trek and brings to the Ferengi species this insane quotient that I think God damn it, it's up against Jeffrey Combs. And it is Jeffrey Combs. All of you have been very plain about voting for Jeffrey Combs. And Shran, as a character, doesn't seem to be going forward at all. I mean, he's got like, yeah, he's cool, whatever. But Jeffrey Combs is, uh, is like the bee's knees. Damon Bach, the character, and I can't name the actor, so there's that. Damon Bach brings, like, Ferengi thought orb to the table. Like, he's going to manipulate somebody with some kind of technology that he, like, plays with his hands, and it's going to, like, you know, force you to relive something. And then, worse, later, he's going to come up with some kind of weird plot to trick, like, his nemesis, which Picard can't even acknowledge because it's just such a lark because he's a Ferengi, and he's going to, like, bring in his son just to kill him off. I mean, this is some crazy, turned-in, rad cool Star Trek. And Dan Bach, I think, should go forward. A vote for Damon Bach, but thank God Damon Bach is not moving on because I would have a problem with the name Damon every time. And I think people are talking to me. <laughs> but Tran is moving on. We're at the last fight of the first round. One of our longest first rounds because when you get Star Trek fans talking about Star Trek, well, <laughs> this is what happens. Oh, uh, it's all right. Uh, Mike, this fight is yours. It is the unknown fight. It's another unknown. It is Anabrintane, which uh, I love the shit out of Anabrintane, versus Karen's pick. It is Kai Opaka. Kai Opaka versus Anabrintane. Uh, you know, I, I was wondering what this, uh, this particular uh, unknown was going to be uh, because... Uh, it, it was going to be a tough one going up against an Auburn uh, I really liked Kyle Paca a lot. And, uh, the being really one of the first sort of spiritual characters 
in, in Star Trek, or at least one of the first that, that to me kind of, you know, resonated as being sort of real. Um, that really appealed to me a lot, but not as much as an Aubrey I mean, he was, he was a great, just great character. And, and, you know, we've, we've got a representation here for the, for the Cardassians. Um, yeah, it's Dane. Uh, vote for Nabrin Tane, Chris. Yeah, it's got to be Tane. I mean, you know, the Cardassians, it's the aspect of Deep Space Nine that uh, kind of mixes everything up. I know I said that about uh, Agent Sloan when he would show up, but the Cardassians, you could never, I mean, honestly, you could never, um, you, you never knew which way they were going to go. They could be awesome one minute, next minute they're stabbing you in the back. Mostly they stabbed you in the back, but occasionally... You know, Mark Alamo's character, good God, I can't remember his name right now. It's probably the high life. But uh, he uh, he he flip-flopped constantly. So, I mean, yeah, Anabrantane, it's got to be. Uh, vote for Anabrantane. Uh, I'm uh, Christy. Hmm. Um, I'm glad I'm glad that um, someone put um, Kyle Paca on here. Um she's the first introduction to the Bajoran culture that we get, um, which is a big part of DS9, um, religion and politics. She loved, I love DS9. But um Tain, he's cold and calculating and neglectful to Garrett once we finally find out who he is in relation to him. And just, ah, it's awesome. I just... I always love the bad guy. Not that he's necessarily bad, I suppose, but um, and you've been Tane. A vote for Tane, uh, Mr. Formby. Man, I, I'm right at that uh, crux where it could go. It could possibly go the other way. So I'm sitting here going, okay, Kyle Paca. Yeah, she's awesome. She's the Jorn, and you know, she brought the culture in for the first time. But she also gave Cisco his charge. I mean, you know, you look at like the original series and the next generation and it's all, you know, space, the final frontier. And this was the true definition of what DC design would become with Kyle Paca. And it's powerful. And then like she was uh, killed off in battle lines in the first season. So you, you didn't even get to know her. All you knew was to hate Kai Wynn because she was an opaka. And, oh, man, this is tough because in Auburn Kane, the way he played accepting Garrick as his child was so beautiful and so abstract and so strange. Ah, damn it. You know what? I'm going to go with Kai Opaka. Just because uh, I feel like the underdogs are not getting their fair uh, fucking light here. So, Kyle Paca. Uh, vote for Kyle Paca and Larry. Okay. Oh, it's, oh okay. Um, that was it. Yeah. Poor, I, I really feel sorry that, uh, that Bertina. No, I've got the wrong actress. I've forgotten her name. Anyway, that Kyle Paca didn't make more appearances. I wish they hadn't killed her off so fast. It would have been interesting to see that develop along because she was the. Kira was there to represent Bajorans and obviously was on every week, but Opaka was, yeah, our first introduction to the spiritual side. I guess uh, 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 Vedic uh, and Kai, uh, Kai Wynn was on too many shows to qualify for here, and I guess maybe Baral was too. So, 
anyway, I hate to do that, but I just, just the beautiful thing that was Garrick and talking about his weird, twisted, never revealed past the first couple of seasons. And then to finally meet his dad and have his dad be almost a little bit as convoluted as he was, but then also to see the daddy thing going on there with Garrick and his dad and have that element that it added to Garrick's character. Um, I'll, I'll be short and sweet and say, um, and, and go with Tane. Tane is moving on to the next round. And uh, that's it for round one, dear Lord. <laughs> we'll be back after this, maybe. I don't know. And the special Geek Fights episode dedicated to the minor Star Trek characters. I'd like to take a second and uh, pay tribute to one of the major characters, or more precisely, one of the major actors who's been on Star Trek, namely Mr. William Shatner. Now, we all know that William Shatner really changed the world in terms of acting, uh, in terms of directing, in terms of writing, uh, and in terms of, of just being an overall wonderful human being. But uh, one place he doesn't get enough credit is how he changed the face of music. Uh, his spoken word recordings uh, are still a hit today. He actually had a, a new album uh, a little while back of dramatic interpretations of classic songs, uh, something he has made famous from Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds all the way through the Priceline commercials and through his uh, latest album, Major Tom. Well, we here at Geek Fights want to pay tribute to this art form created by truly one of the greatest people who have ever lived uh, with a little something that we like to call Shatneroki, dramatic spoken performances uh, of, of classic pop songs. Uh, to to inaugurate our Shatneroki, we have two people who uh, actually could have been on this episode as far as minor Star Trek characters. Uh, and even though they were minor Star Trek characters, they've really become major Geek Fights characters. Uh, so without further ado, we have the premiere of Shatneroki with a strange little introduction by somebody else. I don't really know who. Malls upon babies are delicious. So succulent. So sweet. And now, a song from Mr. Space Lincoln and Sir Stephen Atreyu Hawking. Seven years ago, you were working as a waitress in a space bar when I met you. I picked you out, I spaced you up, and turned you around. Turned you into something spacey and new. Now, space years later, you've got the world at your feet. Success has been spacey for you. And don't forget, it's me who put you where you are now. I can space your back down too. Don't, don't you space me. You know I can't believe it when I hear that you won't space me. Don't, don't you space me. You know I don't believe you when I say that you don't space me. Much too late to space. 
You think I've changed your space? You filthy think your back and will be both these pieces. I was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar That much is true But even then I knew I'd find a much better place Either with or without you The five years we have had Have been such good times I still love you but now I think it's time I live my life on my own. I guess it's just what I must do. Don't... Don't you want me? You know I can't believe it. When I hear that you won't see me. Don't... Don't you want me? You know I don't believe you. When you say that you don't need me. It's much too late to find. You think you've changed your mind. You'd better change it back or we will both be sorry. Don't you want me, baby? Don't you want me? Oh, don't you want me, baby? Don't you want me? Muchachos, e muchachos, you have got Alan here live talking to you live from the mail room. And I know it has been quite a while since you guys have heard from me down here in the mail room, and I just want to let you know why. We have been swamped, absolutely swamped with thousands and millions and millions of thousands of fabulous messages and emails and voicemails and all that stuff from all you fabulous people out there in geek fights land but recently i got you know i got a i got a special got a special voicemail from a, a very lovely young lady her name's kate now i'm gonna go ahead and play that play that message for you guys right now so you could hear this this great thing that this great message that this fabulous young lady has sent me Thank you for calling Geek Fights. Press 1 to leave a voice message for their mailroom. Hello, Geek Fights. Alan is my favorite guest panelist. I can't wait till he's on the next Geek Fights Star Trek show. Aww. What a beautiful and what a sweet message we got on the answering machine down here at the, the mailroom. 
Thank you, Kate, for leaving us such a beautiful message. And of course, if Geek Fights did a Star Trek episode, you know, one maybe about best sixth string character, or maybe a show with an incredibly special guest like Larry Nemechek, of course they would ask me to be on that show, seeing as though I'm Geek Fight's most talented, most handsome guest panelist. If they didn't, they would be the biggest dicks in the world. As a matter of fact, they'd be such big dicks that you'd be able to see them from outer space. And the president would probably rename, you know, New York City to Dick City USA and use a picture of Damon and Mike as the new city symbol. They would be such big dicks that Trojan would change the name of their company from Trojan Condoms to Damon and Mike Condoms. They would be such incredibly huge dicks that they would make Michael Felsher look like a nice guy. Not only that, everybody knows that if I'm not on one of the Star Trek shows, it'll totally lick dog balls. But hey, if you guys would like to send a message or a voicemail or a voice recording or whatever the hell you want to do, you could always email me at alan at geekfights.net. That's A-L-L-E-N at geekfights.net. And why not write in? And tell everybody how much this show sucks without Geek Fight's most handsome, most talented guest panelist, Alan. Retardus, activate! back doing what we do every single week coming at you with a little Jarrett form b trademark geek cred uh let's see who i'm gonna start with you christy what is your geek cred uh, i like star trek a lot um yep that works christy likes yep. star trek a lot uh mr Jarrett Formby, what is your geek cred Oh, well, uh, first off, I'll uh, correct Christy and let her know that she not only loves Star Trek, she's also intensely articulate about Star Trek and also horribly thoughtful about Star Trek, and that's very awesome. I will then say about myself that um, I did work at Star Trek The Experience for eight years, and I've got a number of opinions none of which are being represented on this show. I'm actually starting to believe I watched the wrong show because uh, nobody I thought would go through is going through. And uh, we're just going to see how this shakes out. Thank you very much, Mr. Formby. Uh, Mr. Chris Wood, what is your geek cred? You know, I can really relate to this episode because I run a sixth-string Star Trek website on the Internet. So... Um, if you would like to check it out at Subspace Communique, uh, subspacecoms.com, subspacecommunique.com. I also do a Life After Trek uh, podcast, which hasn't been out in a while, but we are recording a new episode tomorrow 
uh, with uh, Mike DeMeritt, who is the assistant director on both Voyager and Enterprise. So that should be a really interesting uh, episode. Mike's got some pretty amazing stories. And we also do, which I've plugged several times throughout this uh, episode that makes me a giant whore slash douche, uh, Bye Bye Robot, uh, where we sell licensed Star Trek fine art and posters. Uh, we have a couple new episodes or <laughs> a couple new posters coming out really soon uh, that uh, you guys will totally dig. Uh, and I'm friends with Jared Formby, so that gives me lots of geek cred. Doesn't it, though? I love Jared. And the Grand Poobah, Larry Nemechek, what is your geek cred? Well, I can recite the episode Doomsday Machine line for line exactly, and I've been a fan for 47 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? Just 47? <laughs> I don't care. I mean, that is fucking badass. You just have to say that. Larry Nemechek, ladies and gentlemen. You have to just say that. No, I, I did a fan. I've been very lucky and blessed to be able to take fandom and turn it into some kind of a career. Like a lot of Star Trek, it was a little, a uh, little bit more rip roaring ten years ago than now. But it's been interesting in the internet age. But uh, LarryNimichek dot com. My archives are there. My Trekland blog, interviewing uh, people. A lot of videos of, of pros and fans. I love the background behind the scenes. Um, Ian Spelling can interview all the actors. I don't care. No, I'm kidding. Um, and that's what I love. I've always been a behind-the-scenes and a backgrounder person. And uh, right now I'm doing a documentary called The Connor Frath. If you listen to a half a pod a year, you probably heard me talk about it 19 times. Uh, but ConnorFrath.com. And um, my new thing is a CD. I've got all these archives, and I've, I've started doing my Trekland, uh, rather than video, do audio and, and digitize them. And I did the first CD at Vegas, and it's called uh, Trekland on Speaker. And the first one was called Future Voices Past. It's three or four people that have passed away, Michael Piller and, and Mark Leonard, and uh, Jerry Fleck, who was assistant director, and uh, Mark Leonard. And um, I got so ahead of myself that uh, while I was doing the Geek Nation Tour, which is, oh, by the way, we're going to do that again. If you haven't heard about that, go to geeknationtours.com. It was incredible. We did a Trek film site tour uh, with a guy that does niche tours, and we're going to do that again next year, hopefully with more warning for people. And, um, uh, yeah, I just had an insane month the last month, so this has kind of been a back-to-basics night, so thanks for having me on. And my first time on, so thanks for having me on, Damon and well, uh, Mike. Thanks for being on. And, uh, yeah, we got to get Terrace back on. Hey, can I add to my geek cred real quick? No. Uh, are you are you going to talk about the Rock for Files files? Because I talk <laughs> about it in crap. every single episode. Oh, that's awesome! You just blew my mind. No, I was going to add. I wasn't going to say that, but you totally uh, stymied Not. me. No, I was going to say that I've been in the presence of Larry Nemechek before. I'd like to add to my geek <laughs> So, what were you doing in my presence? If I can't look at them <laughs> early, then you can't. Now, Wait, you, you really don't want to know what he was doing in your presence? No, you, don't. <laughs> yeah. you really don't. <laughs> Let's jump back into the fights. Uh, Chris, this one is yours. It is Vic Fontaine versus Lon Suter. I'm going to go with Vic Fontaine. I really don't. I mean, I, I could give a really long explanation as to why I like Vic Fontaine. I do own James Darren's CD that he released in 99, um, singing a lot of the songs from Deep Space Nine. I do play it on a regular basis and imagine uh, that I'm at Vic Fontaine's drinking my high life from a champagne glass. Um, so I'm just going to go with Vic Fontaine because James Darren is freaking epic. So uh, Vote for Vic Fontaine. Uh, Christy? 
right. So, speaking of coming into the light, I'll just turn back around and talk about how Long Suter brings... The episode, the first episode that we've been, we really get to see the dark, seething violence underneath Tuvok's Vulcan calm. And, I mean, we always knew that, um, you know, Vulcans have emotion, they just suppress them. But this is the first time that we really get to see that it's not just emotion in some of them, at least in Tuvok. It's like, it's intense. And I think that's really unique and uh, epic. The doors. Uh, vote for Lon Suter. Jared. I'm going to go ahead and follow up with uh, Christy's like, insight into what uh, Suter brought the Tuvok character. But I'm also going to like uh, segue to actually just talking about the character. Lon Suter is an amazing idea. A, psychopop- a psychopathic Beta Zed with homicidal tendencies, who is looking, you know, not, not for any kind of answer, so Tuvok offers him that, and he gets to build this bridge through Tuvok. He uh, presents the problem to Voyager. I'm a murderer. Now what? Because Starfleet has no death penalty, and it's, well, what are we going to do with this guy? So they come up with a compromise that is agreeable to everyone involved. And then when everything goes down with the Kazon, it falls to Lon Suter to wander Voyager like Bruce Willis and Die Hard and just take care of business. And he does it. And it's a beautiful little story. It's an awesome, awesome character concept. And I love Big Fontaine all day. All day, I really do. I really think he has an epic amount of development, all of which is totally believable. But in a shoehorn, I've got to go to Juan Suter on that. And Chris Wood's not a douche. A vote for Juan <laughs> Suter. Um, Larry. Oh, well, okay. This is for the tough get going or something. Um, yeah. And and, the, and what they did to Suter's you know debut episode was his epic. I mean, it was his spotlight. And then what they factor him into in basics is making him twist all that back around and then die for it was incredible. I just I just want to hang on the fact that that it you know we think science fiction and space battles and ray guns and heroes and square jaws and criminals and and comic relief and all that stuff. And just the fact that there's a stupid 60s Vegas lounge singers thrown into the mix, much less that he's a good singer, much less that they actually did develop, and much less that Vic Fontaine did have an emotional impact on a lot of people and kept them sane during the war, I think, was the big part of that, much less the spotlight episode with Nog. Um, I'm just going to cut it short and say I'll, I, I, I'll go down with Vic Fontaine. Uh, with, vote. not on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a vote for... <laughs> Vic Fontaine, it is all tied up. It comes down to you, Mike. Which one takes the win? You know, after every single person spoke this round, I went, yeah, they're right. I'm voting for him. Because uh, I've been going back and forth on this one. Um, and I'm going to surprise myself. Uh, I, I really wouldn't think that I would would kind of go this way. But uh, I'm going to vote for Lon Suter. Uh, even though I'm not a, a Voyager fan necessarily, 
uh, like I said, as soon as I saw that picture and, and put, you know, the name I didn't recognize, uh, I, I, that just clicked with me. I mean, it, it, I guess this is just kind of the emotional reaction is that just was like, wow, I, I remember really loving that episode. And, and that is a character episode. I mean, it's, I, I don't think, but this one for me, it's so much the, the, the high concept. I think if you would have taken the character in a different way with the same plot, it would not necessarily have done as well. And here's another example where I think the actor uh, brought so much to the character. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go for uh, Lon Suter. And Lon Suter is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Christy, this one is yours. It is the Dura Sisters versus <gasps> Khan. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to bring this one down to a physical fight. Um, Khan may have an augment strength, but the Dura Sisters, there are two of them. Dura Sisters. A vote for the Dura sisters, Jared. Okay, uh, the Dura sisters. Uh, there's like a an odd little story that gets told about um, when generations were getting made, and these two girls like called up the dude who plays Gowron, Robert O'Reilly, and they're like, "Ha, we're going to be in the movie," and uh, Robert O'Reilly's like. Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. And they're like, Why would you be sorry? And he was like, Well, if you're in the movie, they're gonna kill you off. I mean, duh. And uh that's exactly what happened. And they've never really mattered to me at all. The Dura sisters has just never ever mattered to me. So who's the other person? That would be Khan. Yeah, that guy matters. So we're going to go ahead and go with Khan, because he's Star Trek effing Darth Vader, and the Dura sisters are just the Dura sisters who got killed in generation. A vote for Khan. Larry? Oh, and see here, I, I always thought somebody like, you know, Paxton was Star Trek's Darth Vader. Um, yeah. Short and sweet, Khan. Another vote for Khan. Mike? Uh, you know, the Dura sisters may have uh, great boobs, but uh, Montalbans were just a little bit better. So, Khan. <laughs> a vote for Khan. All were, all were real. All are real. All, all uh, Chris? Yeah, uh, Ricardo Montalban's chest was freaking epic in that movie, and he was close to, if not 60, um, when they made that. So that says a lot. Um, and actually, uh, Ricardo is the only Star Trek signature that I've bought, because freaking Khan is epic. So, Khan. And Khan is into the next round, on to the next fight. Jared, this one is yours. It is Loaxana Troy versus Dahar Master Core. <laughs> All right, um... We're talking about uh, Darker Master Core, who, you know, was very awesome in uh, the episode from the original series that he was in. I can't figure out if it was Day of the Dove or if it was... Um, he was in... Uh, Aaron to Mercy. Aaron to Mercy. Aaron to Mercy. That was the other one I was trying to reach for. Yeah. Um, and uh, we got to him going up against uh, Luxana Troy. 
who obviously brought a lot of flavor and texture to a show that desperately needed it, as is already established. And in the end, Core just brings like this uh, unique nerd nut nod to people who are committed to the series and are like, oh my God, this is Core. He's in Blood Oath. Oh my God, I love Deep Space Nine. So I'm going to go with Lexana Troy because, you know, she wasn't a gimmick. She was something that was seriously brought into the fold to just shake things up. So I'm going to go with Troy on this one. Uh, vote for Troy. Larry. I think I'm going to go that way, too. And since since Vic Fontaine's out, and I'm rapidly trying to think of the rest of our brackets here, um, I like standing up for the unexpected. So I'm going – and not that – again, we're in second round, so these are all legitimate contenders here. But um, uh, and he's, he's, I try not to be weighed by things out of the original series because they've been around just longer and been more iconic. I know for somebody that came to Trek in the last five or ten years, it was like wall-o episodes and everything came at you at once. But there is some length of gravity here to that. But even saying all that, I'm going to go ahead and vote to keep Luoxana in this in a while. I'll vote for Luoxana. Mike? Uh, I'm going to stick with Core. Um, I would actually uh, pay cash money to see this fight. Um <laughs> Uh, and I think uh, I think the Dahar Master would uh, would definitely uh, emerge victorious in a physical fight. I'll vote for Core, Chris. I'm going to go with uh, Luaxana, and I always mispronounce that. But um, you know, if it were a fight between her and Core, you know, Mister Holm would actually be doing the fighting. <laughs> so he would he would throw those giant suitcases at Core, and there's no defending that. So he'd, he'd ring the gong, and Core would hold his ears and. <laughs> exactly. Another vote for the walks on a Troy and Christy. Yeah, I I have to vote for Luxana. Um she's in one of my absolute favorite episodes of Star Trek, Half a Life. But I'm, I guess I'll save that for the next round mm. because she's already going through. That is right. The walks on a Troy is into the next round. We're on to the next fight. Larry, this one is yours. It's Fajo versus Roe. <laughs> oh. Well, that's not very fair. Okay. We never defined best, huh? Um, <laughs> I ran the half through this. Damn. Uh, well, you actually personally have already defined best for yourself. So just go by what you consider is the best. Oh, I just bounced from match to match. I didn't go into this with an overriding thing. I, I, I tried to balance it in my own tired little brain. Um, oh. Right. All right. Right. Um, I'm just staring at my bracket, and I'm, this is wonderfully dead air. Uh, uh, what they meant for the... Um, yeah, Roe. I have to go with Ensign Roe. Uh, vote for Roe. Mike? I still don't like Ensign Roe, so Fajo. A vote for Fajo. <laughs> Chris? Kivas Fajo was played by Saul Rubinak. And, and you know, you say we're, you know, comparing the actors to the character. The actor brings the character. So I think that uh, that says a lot. And he'll soon be a sticker from Bye Bye Robot. There you go. Oh. Another vote for Kivas Fagio. Uh, Christy. 
There was not a Kiva Svajo episode where he was turned into a child. So, Kiva Svajo. <laughs> Another vote for Kiva Svajo. <laughs> logic. <laughs> and Mr. Formby. Man, I, I hate to say it, but I think the geek fight phenomenon can finally end. Because the logic just used was <laughs> Kiva Svajo was never... Made with a child <laughs> and like bounce on a bed, <laughs> running around like baby Whoopi Goldberg. That's hilarious. Um, that's right. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. man, this isn't a contest at all because Kevin Faccio is a great, great thing for sure, but. Ensign Rolaren brought the edge to the next generation. And, God, I remember this moment. I remember when I was watching Next Gen as a kid. And and it was Beverly Crusher was sitting across from... No, no, God. It was Ensign Rose sitting by herself. And Beverly Crusher and Troy... Troy both walked up to her and said, May we join you? And she was like, no. <laughs> I thought that was such an awesome thing as a kid. So I'm going to go with Ensign Rolaren because she's got this all day. She's a phenomenal, you know, extra character. And I think she absolutely goes forward over somebody who made Data change his outfit. A uh, vote for Ensign Row. But uh, Kiva Spaggio is moving on. We're on to our next fight. Spaggio win? Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. That is a load of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I will say, you said... Holy you shit. <laughs> I, we're moving on, but you did say all he did was make Data changes out. He did make Data shoot at him. Yeah. This is the quickest I've, like... Lost all dogs in the running. Just saying. <laughs> Jesus shit. Fucking wow. And with that, we're moving on to our next one. Emotionally attached to our choices, are we? Dude, it's always emotionally I, attached. Hey, you know, do you remember the Star Trek uh, customizable card game? Mm-hmm. That was like a big money-draining thing for me in the 90s. And I realized this, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop when I get the Insmo Laren card. And the day I said that, the moment I said that, I unwrapped it, and there was ends in a row. I stopped buying cards. It was on. It was it was fate. And okay, that's when on. the cipher went bankrupt. Okay. All right, and, and next fight, uh, Mike. This one is yours. It is Harry Mudd versus Commodore Matt Decker. This is really tough. I and mean, when we get here, I kind of don't really know what what criteria I use uh, in my own head here. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm just going to go straight on instinct. I don't have a reason, but uh, I just keep thinking Harry Mudd. Uh, Vote for Harry Mudd. Chris. Yeah, Harry Mudd, definitely. Like I said before, he's the archetype for Han Solo. So, Harry Mudd. Another vote for Harry Mudd. Uh, Christy. Okay, so I was going to vote for Harry Mudd, but I, if I do, that would put him through the next round automatically. 
and Commander Decker or Commodore Decker really deserves to not go away. But let me just say that when I think of Star Trek, I do think of Harry Mudd, but I am, I'm going to vote for Decker. Uh, vote for Decker. Uh, Jared. I'm going to call back the uh, the bit where uh, Mike Ortiz said a vote for uh, Commodore Decker is a vote for Star Trek The Motion Picture because, uh, yeah, that was the kid who uh, was awesome and was in command of the Enterprise, and Kirk took it away from him, as was done to him so many times before. And for the poetry, I'm going to go ahead and go for uh, Commodore Decker. Another vote for Commodore Matt Decker. It is all tied up. It comes down to you, Larry. Which one takes the win? Okay, I'm so privileged to be in this position at this at this point in time, to use a Watergate analogy uh, phrase. Uh, I am more than happy to cast the one, the one bit in this entire bracket that I'm emotionally tied to, because I was prepared to go down with the ship. Because that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Last man aboard the ship, go down. Uh, I'm casting it for Matt Decker, as much as I love Harry Mudd. He's the guy that he's the guy that he's the character that had the most impact on me as a guest star on the original series, and and I just I was just floored by the character and the performance both, and and I will go down with him to the bitter end. A uh, vote for Matt Decker. Uh, Matt Decker moves on. We are on to our next fight. Chris, this one is yours. It is Captain Jellico versus Moogie. Uh, between the two, it's got to be Jellico. I mean, he's much stronger character for me like i said before he's i mean people say he's a dick but honestly that's how it well i shouldn't say that's how it would be in starfleet because gene roddenberry's vision of starfleet was exploration and not military uh jellico comes on as more of like a military commander where he's like this is what i'm saying you do it so um so that maybe that analogy doesn't apply but i really dig the way ronnie cox played the yin to Patrick Stewart's yang. So, Jellico. A vote for Jellico. Uh, Christy. It's not that everyone thinks he's a dick. It's just that he's supposed to be portrayed that way in the episode of Christy because he's so jarring in comparison to Picard. You're supposed to hate him with the crew and then, you know, you come to realize that, you know, he's just a different way of doing his job and so does the crew. So, I mean, it's not that he's a dick. He's just a dude. Um, Moogie Ishka, like I said before, is the shining light for quote-unquote feminism, uh, super heavy-handed. But to think that, seriously, one individual is is the reason for the feminist movement, or not, it's not even a movement, it's just like, over the course of a couple seasons, and Rom becomes... Greg Nagus, she not only like infiltrated the Zek, but also raised the next leader of the of Ferengi society. Um, I'm going to have to vote for Moogie. I want my Moogie. Uh, Jared. Okay, I'm going to go opposite. Now I'm going to go into like the actor. Okay, so we got Ronnie Cox, who was in Robocop, who I believe it was misspoken before, was killed by Ed 209. That's not the truth, Ruth. The truth is he was shot by Robocop proper in the climactic last moment of Robocop, which was a beautiful moment, which they will never recapture in the remake. Um, 
And he also played the dickhead on Total Recall. And uh, we all know how that turned out. And uh, he was also this other dick who was Captain Jellico and not Captain Janeway for uh, Best Captain. So it's obvious to me it should go to the female Ferengi who did change a whole culture, who did get women in the clothes and get them doing things and making money and uh, paved the way for a female Ferengi at Star Trek The Experience, which is something I helped the management justify. And we're going to go with uh, Ishka. Uh, vote for Ishka. What was the name of Gretchen's character? Gretchen Baker, that Gretchen is? played a character named Riska. Riska, Riska. yeah. Which the, the, is pretty, pretty awesome. And she is also a fantastic comedian, by the way. See? We, we, we mentioned people. Uh, Larry? Okay, well. Well, I was... I'm, I'm tossing back and forth, too, here. Because I I, I've been dying to say that they had that actually we were telling to defend Jellico and not go with the stereotype. I kept wanting to say that, yeah, he was a dick, but with soft edges, but I didn't want to go there. Um, uh, I, I think I'm going to come down with Ishka just because of her impact on a whole culture as much as I liked Jellico. And I will say that Ronnie Cox for a failed one season series was the head of a dad on Apple's way, which was the guy, uh, uh, Lee Hamner that did the Waltons. That was his follow-up show that only went a year. So he was the nice guy dad of a family once in his career when he wasn't playing the hard asses. But um, I can't even picture that. I, I can't even see that. Well, th- th- we have this thing called the inner tubes where there's probably you know images and bits up there. But yeah, Apple's Way, and it was like a total flop compared to the success of the Waltons. Which there you go. But anyway, I'll go with Ishka, and I'm I'm saying this not just with Andrea, but I, I knew Cecily, and it was really incredible. Cecily died of uh, Cecily Adams, who was Don Adams' daughter, and was kind of estranged from her dad until right before she died. And she was a casting agent, and she played the hell out of that character uh, when she was the second one to come in. Of course, you're under so much damn makeup, people don't even know who you are anyway, so she got to go on and keep being a casting director. Nobody bothered her. But the fact that she died from lung cancer and never smoked a day in her life was incredibly unfair, I thought. But um, um, she and, and Michael Pillar both died within the same year, which is which was sad for the DS9 family. But uh, forget all that. I'll just I'll, we'll say Moogie for the impact, bigger impact. Uh, vote for Moogie and Mike. Uh, first, um, I I just want to say that I I actually fill out these brackets as we're going uh, on an iPad. And uh, my iPad auto-corrected Jellico to helicopter, and auto-corrected Ishka to Ishmael. So I'm voting helicopter versus Ishmael, apparently, um, and I really don't know how to do that one. Um, but in the Jellico uh, Moogie fight, uh, I'm going to stick with Jellico, and it's actually for a reason, a super kind of nitpicky, dumb, nerdy reason. And I don't mean nerdy in a good way. I mean nerdy in the the way that people used to make fun of nerds. Um, I, uh, the, all the stuff that they've talked about, about her being this uh, kind of feminist Ferengi icon, all of it completely true. The problem is I never bought that aspect of, of the Ferengi. If their driving motivation is the, is profit, um, then I don't really buy that they would wind up being that, sexist because 
they would want, if the women could, I mean, clearly in their society, the most respect is given to the people who can make the most money. So if a woman made the money and, you know, we've seen several instances on Deep Space Nine where they did kind of on the side, I think Ferengi men would actually kind of go along with that. You know, for me, that aspect was just a, well, we're going to make the Ferengi kind of representing some of the worst qualities of us. So we'll make the money grubbing and, oh, that's not enough. We're going to throw sexism on top of that. So I never bought that aspect of the Ferengi. Um, It just didn't seem to kind of click with me. So even though she is, Mugi is kind of fighting against that, she's fighting against something that I thought was actually something that, that didn't fit the Ferengi very well for me. Um, and I know that's kind of a really dumb overthought reason, uh, but because all the way back to, to, to well, maybe not on, on Next Generation, because I didn't really care for the Ferengi as much there, but throughout Deep Space Nine, I just never really got that, that those two things would fit together very well. Um, so because of that and everything that I said about Jellico before, uh, I will vote for Helicopter. Uh, vote for helicopter, but Ishka, also known as Moogie, is moving on. We're on oh, to our okay. next. <laughs> we're on to our next fight. Uh, Christy, this one is yours. It is Elizabeth Elizabeth Cutler. I don't know why I can't say Elizabeth uh, versus Sarek. Oh, I was tempting to vote Elizabeth through because you cannot say it. Um, I don't think there's any contest here, and Sarek has to do. Uh, vote for Sarek, Jared. I just want to say that uh, my problem with the Abrams movie is not with Sarek post-Vulcan destroyed. All that Sarek played nicely for me. It's the upfront Sarek with the baby Spock where he was assuming the motherly human role that I have a lot of trouble. So um, I see now that uh, Elizabeth Colors is dark horse and running up against a Titan, for lack of a better term. And uh, I want her to win. I want the the concept of somebody, you know, with a mild crush, somebody who was on the outside and affecting the stories and being very, very cool. I want to see that going forward. And I wish I had, like, a whole arm of specifics on human color. But since I don't, I'll just cast my vote and uh, watch Sarek sweep it. A vote for Cutler? A vote for Cutler. Um, <laughs> Larry? <laughs> okay, I, okay. I, I think it's wonderful that we got Cutler out of the first bracket, but I, 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 can't, I can't vote against Sarek. Sarek is Sarek. And I forget that I have to stop and we should explain all these things, but I just, it's just kind of like, I feel like I, I have to explain why I'd vote for Spock. So, you know, um, yeah, Sarek. Uh, vote for Sarek. I'm doing Mike. my bit here, too, by the way. <laughs> uh, Mike? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to stick with, uh, with Sarek because I still don't remember Cutler. <laughs> That's a good reason. And uh, Chris? So who did Cutler beat at the beginning of this? Uh, she beat out Okana. Okay, okay that's, that's just crap. Let's just put that out there. Um, but Cutler is just a blip on uh, Star Trek's Dratus. I'm mixing metaphors here. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Sarek, obviously. I mean, that's like saying, okay, let's, uh, let's put the Enterprise against, um, you know, 
something much crappier. So I'm going to go with Sarek. Uh, there's absolutely nothing crappy about Elizabeth Cutler. I love that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sarek is moving on, and we're on to our next fight. Jared, this one is yours. This should be an easy one. It's Commander Shran versus Inabrin Tain. Uh, this actually is not easy at all. Um, I, I love Jeffrey Combs. I love everything he's brought to um, performing in Star Trek. I've loved everything he's played, including the uh, perv from the third season of Deep Space Nine, where uh, he just wanted to get with Kira's body in a hollow suite. That was him. He played that character. Um, the... The fact that he is now up against Anabran Kane, who I think is a phenomenal damned character, everything he brought to uh, Deep Space Nine with the mythos and the mystery is fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to boil it down to the fact that Anabran Kane never, like, strapped a knife to his wrist and then, like, tied himself to his opponent. Uh, that bit on Enterprise where Shrans was fighting Archer, that was the most ridiculously blown out alien combat that we had seen for over 30 years on Star Trek. So I'm going to go with Shran on that. Uh, vote for Shran. Uh, Larry. Yeah, that was the most overblown combat we'd seen on Star Trek since, oh, Kirk and Ron Tracy did the same thing in Omega Glory. <laughs> but I'm not, and I'm not knocking it. That was I watched that and I went, oh, okay. Well, at least they don't have two captains fighting each other this time. But it's been 30 years, and people don't know. Yeah, as much as an Auburn Tain and Paul Dooley, we don't think we've even mentioned that it was the great actor Paul Dooley was an Auburn Tain and uh, total sidebar on his own, and then had such a great uh, going away in the two-parter when they were in the uh, Dominion camp um, and died, and you finally got some Garrick daddy issues resolved. I kept. Remember thinking midway through there, wow, they're going to take care of all of Garak's mysteries and tie him up, and what's he going to do? And of course, Andy Robinson was great going on forward from that. But uh, we have to keep Shran alive in this, just for alien diversity and for Jeff Combsiness, and just because Shran. Oh, and, and what I meant to think later on, we did not mention in round one. You're saying, well, we're all doing Shran because of Jeff Combs. Well, but Shran, a out of the blue, followed Archer into the Expanse, as much as I don't care for the Zindi year. If you're going to accept it as canon in, in whatever, uh, Shran helped save Earth because he helped save Archer in the NX-01 at one of their darkest moments. And then B, he was even ahead of like your legit diplomats in suits, whatever they look like on the Andorian side. He was one of the movers and shakers that led to the coalition being founded. He was kind of like the Andorian guy. So, you know, he has a major point in history here. So I'm going Shran. Uh, vote for Shran. Uh, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to go with, with Shran also. Um, for everything everybody said, uh, I mean, I, I love Tane, and it's it. this is really tough. This is another one of those ones where, uh, you know, I, I, I even as I'm saying it, I can I can still try and talk myself out of it. But uh, I think I'm going to give it to, to Shran because it is just, I don't know, it just feels a more interesting character i mean that not to taint anything wrong with Tane, just something about shran that I, I, there's a nobility there that that i think is is kind of easy to miss at first um you know i i like and, and i'll call him a hero even though he may have been an antagonist in the show 
I, I still think that there, there's a heroic aspect to him. And that's, that's even though there's a lot going on with, with Tane, uh, he's, he's still a little bit more straightforward of a, of a villain in many ways. But, but Shran, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think if we were on Andoria, Shran would have his own show. So I'll uh, vote for Shran. <laughs> it's been a Shran road. Uh, Chris. It's got to be Shran, dude. I mean, building on what Mike said, Shran was a hero. When mm-hmm. the whole crap went down with the Zindi, Shran shows up, totally like talks his way out of it, says he's part of the Andorian Mining Consortium. Um, dude, yeah. To, to quote David Ivey from Trekcast, it's one of those moments where you lay back on your on your back and you kick your legs in the air. You're just like so excited to see Shran. You're waiting on every like moment, on every word that comes out of his face because Jeffrey Combs executes it so well. Yeah, it's Shran, dude. I mean, really, if it came down to Shran and Khan, that would be an epic battle for me. So it, Shran, it, uh, vote for Shran. It could well be there. No, that's not going to happen. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The brackets uh, are the brackets. Uh, Christy, is it a clean sweep? Okay. Um, Anibrin Tane, for someone who's not in very many episodes and for someone who doesn't speak a lot, he is, I think Mike said that Shran had this nobility about him. I think Anibrin Tane has that same weird gravitas to him. Um but that said, I am going to vote for Shran because um, not only does is, is it because of him and his interaction with Archer that leads to Endoria joining the Federation, but that in itself represents, you know, the founding principle of the Federation of Planets, which is, you know, seeing beyond yourself and overcoming your fears and prejudice and all that. So, um, Shran, uh, should go through. Uh, vote for Shran, and Shran is moving on through. Uh, on to our next fight. It's for a spot in the final four. Yeah, we're almost done. Three more fights. F- well, five more fights. Uh, Larry, this one is yours. Uh-oh. It is Lon Suter versus Khan. <laughs> um, should I do what's expected or fight for the unexpected fight here after we said all we've said? No, Khan. Uh, vote for Khan. Uh, Mike? Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what this boils down to. I mean, in in many ways, the only way that you could define Khan as a minor character or a sixth string character is if we is the way that we have is is just numerically alone. But in terms of impact, I mean, he his name's in the title of Star Trek Two for Christ's sake. Um, it's I, I almost don't want to vote for him just because he really is not sixth string. He's he's a big gun. He's as, as pretty much as big as it gets. Um, but the fact that he is as big as it gets with two appearances, even though one of them was a movie, uh, that, that just speaks volumes and, uh, and it's Montalban and, and everything everybody else has said. Another vote for Khan, Chris smiles. Everyone smiles. No, it's gotta be Khan, dude. Another vote for Khan, Christy. Con. I heard a con, I heard a con, 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 con. <laughs> You almost did it. You almost did it. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Uh, another vote for Khan. She's obviously and, pro-Khan. <laughs> hey uh, Mr. Formby? The fact that this is like this short-ass round where and like, they're like, oh, it's Khan, Shrug. I mean, whatever. I mean, for real. I mean, 
how how is it that Khan is going to go forward without any suggestion or any uh, reasoning? It's just like everybody just embraces the idea of Khan because it's Khan. Well, you know what? You don't have to even listen to this episode. If Khan's on the list, you know Khan is already in the finals. And you know what? F that because Ron Suter is the man, and he's played by Brad freaking Gore. And if you don't follow his other work, if you didn't follow Dune or One for the Cruise Nest or his work on Millennium or anything like that, I mean, this guy takes the nerdy concept of Star Trek species to the nth level. I mean, Space Seed shows us Khan. He's like a genetically engineered human from the 1990s. And, oh, you need to fear him. And they give us lots of reasons, and sure, and yeah, his movie is pretty fucking badass. I've already consented that he's Star Trek Darth Vader, but when you look at the fact that Long Suter brought to Star Trek Voyager this completely unsurpassed, completely wonderful quotient of that indiscernible psychopath slash handicap, thank you, Christy, Lobster is way more thought out, and he's got a lot more going on, and I think he had a ton more potential than Khan ever did or ever could have. And I think Lon Studer deserves a little more consideration than this fucking round. Jesus. I believe that was a vote for Lon Studer, <laughs> but Khan is moving on. Unless somebody's changing their vote. Anybody changing? I'll change yeah. one. Okay. Mike changed his vote. Khan is still moving on. <laughs> we oh, I, on. Didn't know we had not, I didn't know we could do take backs. Not this, I won't do it here, oh. but I'll, I'll remember that later on. Oh, yeah. You can, you can change your vote. Uh, okay. Anytime. Change it now, Larry. Make this not dull. I'd rather save my ammo for other brackets. All right. Khan moving on. On to our next fight, Mr. Ortiz, this one is yours. It's Waxana Troy versus Kivas Fajo. Hmm. Um, this is a strange one. Um, I, I really am not terribly fond of of either characters, at least at kind of, you know, this level. Um, I, I wouldn't have put them uh, in, in my final four. Uh, but I think certainly the one with the greater impact is, uh, Lexwana Troy. Uh, vote for Luaxana Troy. Uh, Chris. Yeah. Geez. Actually, this is kind of tough for me because both are pretty, uh, uh, prolific characters for me. Even though Kivas Faji only had one episode, it's one of my favorites. So, um, geez. I'm just going to go with Kivas. I know that sounds totally strange. The Waxana, it's Majel. You know, she's been in so many episodes. She's awesome. She totally is awesome. But I really dig Saul Rubinek's um, character, Kivas Fajo. So. Uh, vote for Kivas Fajo. Uh, Christy. All right, so I'll talk about that episode that I really love, but is starring Luoxana Troy. Obviously, who I'm voting for, but just let me say this. Um, so, Half a Life, she, of course, falls in love with the um, 
whatever alien of the week is, um, who happens to be a scientist. But the thing is on this planet that when you reach the age of 60, you're supposed to kill yourself. And it's like a totally normal thing. It's like just, it's because on this particular planet, centuries before, um, what happened to older people? Well, they couldn't, they couldn't work anymore and they were a drain on their children and the ones who didn't have family had to live out the rest of their lives in solitude and sadness and these, in like, camps, sort of. And um, she is completely appalled at, at this notion who her, herself was probably older than him. And, you know, she was, of course, in love with him because she falls in love so easily. But this, it, she was so struck at what, what was so different to her. And she was so passionate that she, you know, finally convinces him to not go through with it. And um, in the end, he, he, he does. But she, okay, it, it's something so human, not being able to comprehend another's culture. Um a culture that values or devalues the exact opposite of what you do, and it's it's really hard to put yourself in a in, in that kind of um, situation and have to decide to you that you're not okay with it, but you're going to support you know this person that you love with what they need to do. And I think it's probably the hardest decision I've seen any Star Trek character make because it's it was not war, it's not it's something very personal and. You know, her, 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 man, I can't talk. Um, she couldn't even be okay with it, but it's just, it's so much, again, it's one of those things in Star Trek, so much depth to these episodes. They're not just on the surface. It's dealing with like age and, you know, well, age empowerment in the 90s saying that your life isn't over when you're 50, 60, 70, you know, you can still live beyond that. But anyway. The Locks on a Troy definitely deserves to go over Akiva Tsvazin. Uh, vote for the Locks on a Troy. Jared? Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do the obvious and go with Locks on a Troy because she has multiple appearances. She's awesome. She has all of what Chrissy just said behind her. And she is Fatio. Honestly, was a brilliant performance. And I do still hold up the most toys as one of the greatest episodes of the next generation. I never find it cheesy or mediocre or lame. I think that's an episode I would show anybody to get them into data and get them into that whole theme. But Lux and Troy, just the more you think about it, I mean, the more powerful she is. I mean, she brings so much to the table. She just brings that talent. So, Luxana. A uh, vote for Lwaxana, Troy, and Larry. Yeah, I'll, real quick, I'll I'll pile onto what Christy was saying because I was listening to you talk, and it reminds me that that's you know it's really that a shoehorn Lwaxana is the comic relief, but half a life, and then on forward, and then on to DS Nine, they really started letting her not be the comic relief and let her have her lighter moments, but she really got involved in these heavier plots. And her scene with with Odo on DS Nine when they're the, they're stuck in the lift together and. And, uh, you know, she'd had the crush and they played and he was running away from her like the card used to. And they played that for laughs the first time around. But it was really, really poignant. And it was really I hadn't thought about this in ages. And that's coming out of me uh, to be able to see Majel, uh, if we're going to bring an actress into this, 
to be able to play something where she wasn't Andy, Andy name of the galaxy, you know, the Loxana was originally pitched as, um, and get to, and Major on a personal level, get to show some of those and add so much to the shows, including half a life, the Logan's run planet. And, um, with all those great guest stars, which was Michelle Forbes' first guest star and was also David Augenstyers from MASH and great, great episode. So, uh, yeah, and as much as I hate to, uh, you know, my friend Lolita's namesake character and as much as it, – it's really so unfair we get down to this level, especially with people have multiple appearances versus – it has to be one incredible, you know, landmark performance and con- character concept to stand up against the ability to show different tones and shades and things. But I, I have to go with Luxana. Uh, vote for Lawaxana. Lawaxana is into the final four. Christy, this fight is yours. It is Matt Decker versus Ishka. Oh, man, that's kind of hard. Um, very different. Um, I'd say, I, I mean, I've been championing Ishka the whole time, but based on uh, character performance alone, I'm going to give it to Commodore Decker. Uh, vote for Mr. Matt Decker. Uh, That's Commodore uh, to you. Nope, oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, <laughs> Jared? Um, I'm, I'm a little shocked that Christy is uh, switching like this. Uh, no, it's, it's fine, um, because I'll, I'll throw the line. Um, Ishka is the woman. She is uh, fantastic. She brings comedy. She brings pathos. She brings a number of demands. And uh, what's interesting is that, like, her demands are just mostly met by the uh, chauvinistic males that are in the free culture. And, I mean, between the two, I mean, you got one guy who's completely obsessed with one thing in one episode, which is a great episode. I mean, I can't poo-poo that at all. But... And I don't want to, like, cite, like, the number of episodes, but Ishka's contribution is also controversial because so many people were annoying at seeing the Ferengi get developed at all. And especially the vision that Iris and Bear had for them, which was mostly comic, but was ultimately also very poignant. And the fact that she's in the center of all of that, changing the culture, doing things, challenging Quark, challenging Quark, like she did. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. It's got to be Ishka. Uh, Vote for Ishka. Larry? I believe I made my emotional (laughs) feelings known on this one. Uh, I will... will, uh, I I hope nobody's being swayed also by William Wyndham's passing, because I would have said this. I would have said this in uh, 2010, I would have said this in 2000, 1990, or 1980. I'll, I will, I will, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a clever Decker quote here, and I can't do it off the bat, so I'll just dignify it and say I'm going with Matt. A uh, vote for the Commodore, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to stick with uh, with Decker. Also, uh, you know, like I, I do. Uh, love Moogie, but like I said last time, that that one aspect uh, of of her place in Ferengi culture uh, just that, that just never clicked with me. Uh, even though I love the character, um, but I think I'm gonna stick with Decker. 
And Dexter gets another vote. And Chris. So are we tied up now? No. <laughs> okay. Well, not that not that, that that would actually make much difference for me. Uh, between the two, I, you know, I totally dig Moogie. And we've had uh, pretty much the entire Ferengi family on Life After Trek, except for, unfortunately, uh, Cecily, uh, because of her passing. But, um, you know, I said earlier that I wasn't a huge TOS fan, but the Doomsday Machine was one of my favorite episodes. Not that I didn't love the episodes with Moogie, with Andrea Martin and Cecily Adams, uh, you know, playing the the character. Uh, but uh, Commodore Decker was pretty awesome. So I'm going to go with uh, Decker for sure. And, you know, his son was in Seventh Heaven, and I'm a huge Seventh Heaven fan. Just kidding. <laughs> Seventh Not really. Heaven. Oh, sorry. And we know what Gillian Taylor did after she came to Earth in 1986. And, yeah. <laughs> Or what? No, no. After she went to the, oh, uh, you know, everything comes back to Star Trek. Absolutely, yeah. everything on the planet comes back to Star Trek. It's a small town. Uh, Matt Decker into the final four, and for the last spot in the final four, Chris, you're going again. This one is yours. It is Sarek versus Shran. Oh, see, now that's pretty tough, actually. Yeah. Jeez. So I'm I, I'm actually going to have to think here. So get you know, give me a second. Maybe somebody can do the uh, Jeopardy music here. Um, <laughs> okay, that is not quite what I was looking for. <laughs> it was a fast um, forward. Yeah, it's gonna be really nerdy and say you want Jeez. the sixties or you want the eighties onward, but okay. You know, good God. Okay, um, Sarek from you know early on watching TOS, watching TNG. I would say he probably made a, a stronger impact on me. Um. Well, no, that's not true. Good God. Okay. Um, uh, honestly, I'm really struggling with this. Okay. Um, you know... I'm glad you went first. I know, right? Uh, they both start with S's, so... Um, uh, you know, I've met Jeffrey Combs in person, and he is just absolutely phenomenal. So was Mark Leonard. Can I vote? Can I can I vote for both? Can can I get, actually say Sarek and Shran? No. Okay. Good God. Okay. Um, you can always just pick one and change your vote after you hear what other people say. Okay, I'm going with Shran, and I'll probably say Sarek later. So thank you, Mike. A vote awesome. for Shran. Uh, Christy. Shran Sarek. Okay. Um. So I'm going to make sure that I base this not on the actor. So I'm going to take Mark Leonard and Jeffrey Combs out of it altogether and try to look at this from an outside perspective. And I would say that more people probably know who Sarek is, whether they know his name or not. Um, Just the stoic disapproving, secretly loving father figure um, more than the suspicious, um, xenophobic uh, Shran. So I am going to vote for Sarek. A vote for Sarek. Jared. Wow, uh, Christy made that really easy for me. Sarek. Another vote for Sarek. Larry. 
Yeah, although I would say that Shran uh, was not. I mean, Shran also helped make the initial overture to the you know the Vulcan Andoria thing was happening the first season of Enterprise. Uh, um, oh, good God! The one they each had their own name for their planet. It was the follow up to Andorian Incident. Um, but uh, I was talking about number of appearances being something to have to somehow factor around. And this is now we're in a case of, well, somebody that's a character from the 60s versus someone who's a character just from the aughts. So as far as trying to judge impact, I, it's just, oh, it's like I try not to find, fall into the obvious, obvious things here. Um. It's just that beyond the original cast, who kept Star Trek going, the next door – I mean, in that interview that's on that CD I just put out, Mark Leonard said he got the most fan mail of any actor outside the original cast. And that was part of the reason why he, they got him into the original the, – the motion picture as the first Klingon captain, which was a nothing role. But he got to bark in Klingon. That's what they took it from for, for Mark Okren later. And then, and then three times as Sarek. So I – uh, I feel like I'm betraying all the people I know personally. Um, I, I guess I have to say, Sarek, this is this is the worst one of all of these so far for me. Uh, vote for Sarek yeah. and Mike. Yeah, I, I'm I'm struggling uh, as everyone else is, um, but Sarek already won, right? He's got three votes. Okay. Um, well, you know what, I'm. When, when it comes down to this and when we have these sort of fights and, and Damon, you really, you are really the one that kind of taught me this is it always does come down to go with your heart and, and maybe it's because of nostalgia. Uh, maybe it's because he's a Vulcan and, and I, I really dig Vulcans. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to go with, with Sarek. My mind may, may find lots of reasons for, for Shran, but when I vote against my mind, it just quietly disagrees. When I vote against my heart, it screams at me. So, uh, Sarek. Uh, vote for Sarek, and Sarek is into the final four. We've got yeah, Tom. Yeah, I'm mine, by the way. You're changing it to Sarek? No, 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 I'm not. I'm sticking oh, with your hand. Oh, no. you're, you're, you're sticking. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. Uh, we've got uh, the final four. It's Khan versus Luoxana Troy and Matt Decker versus Sarek. Jared, this first fight is yours. It is Khan versus Luoxana Troy. <laughs> this is blown out. I can't even say anything to the fact that Khan has gotten this far, except on the breath of just being effing Khan. And yeah, I mean, he's brilliant and he's beautiful and he's awesome and Montalban and etc. But But the fact that he is this far in this fight disappoints me to like the nth degree because so many other people have been awesome and have been truly deserving of such a title in this fight. But here's Khan. Here he is. He's big. He's famous and he's unstoppable. So I'm going with Luxana Troy because she's the only one that is sort of, you know, unexpected, unexpected. So I'm going to go ahead and go with her. A vote for the walks on a Troy, Larry. Well, now at at once I didn't realize the name of this this fight was called the most unexpectedly best 
Star Trek six screen guest actor. But after saying that, um, I, I, I wouldn't apply to every single bracket, Jared, but I do understand. I, I do sympathize and empathize with everything you're saying because otherwise everything would be just routine, 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 which is why I love these episode polls for original series that always come up with the edge of forever first. It's kind of like, okay guys, maybe, you know, whatever. Um, and because of all that, and again, we deal with not apples and oranges, but little oranges and big oranges in many different ways here. That's unfair. Um, Despite the unfairness of the movie impact, just on on pop culture in general, which is a big thing to say. I mean, you know, the mundanes and the armchair fans and the little-known fans, people will know Khan almost as much as they will Spock, or at least I think so, Spock and Kirk. But I think for our purposes here, and as the hour grows late, I'll just shut up and I'll say Lwaxana. Another vote for Lwaxana Troy. Mike? You know, you know, we talked about, you know, unexpected and, and, you know, Khan kind of breezing through. And a lot of times I don't like it also when, when the, the kind of obvious choice, uh, is made. Um, but I think in this instance, it's, it's been the obvious choice because it's been the right choice. Um, you know, I mean, let, let's, let's, like I said, Khan really, maybe he didn't deserve to be on this bracket. Maybe we should have defined it differently but we defined it how we defined it and certainly while there are many other characters that that maybe it could have, have gone up against Khan um I, I don't think Luxwana is really one that that should take down uh Khan I mean we keep talking about Luxwana was brought in to to shake up next generation but nothing shook up Star Trek more than Star Trek 2 um and Star Trek 2 lives and breathes on Khan you know, he is the, the title character. He is, he's, he's what makes it all happen. I mean, if this was Khan from just Space Seed, uh, yeah, there, that, that, I really never really thought Space Seed was that great an episode. But Khan in the movie, uh, he, he's iconic. And yeah, maybe it sucks that we're, that, that something that is the obvious choice, the choice that, you know, most people would pick moves on. But again, sometimes it's the obvious choice because it's kind of the right choice. Um, Lexwana Troy, you know, she was brought in to shake things up. Honestly, I don't think the, the I don't think the flaws of, of Star Trek at that time were that it didn't have enough humor. Uh, and I didn't think she was really all that funny. Um, but Khan, you know, we've been fighting this whole time to not yell out Khan because everybody knows that no one yells out Luxwana. I just, <clears throat> I just scared my cat. Um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes it it sucks that the obvious thing wins, but uh, it's obvious for a reason, and it's Khan. No, it's not. But a vote for Khan, the Waxana, the Waxana, uh, Chris. Dude, Khan is badass. I don't care what anybody on this panel says. Really, you're gonna put him up against the Waxana, Troy? Are you kidding me? Dude, Khan is freaking badass. He saved Star Trek. Okay? You can talk all you want about Star Trek, the motion picture. It's fine. Whatever. Harv Bennett, Nick Meyer came along and saved freaking Star Trek and Ricardo Montalban because he played Khan and his chest was freaking awesome. So, yeah. Duh. Khan. Duh. Khan. A vote for Khan. I will say this about Lwaxana Troy. 
My favorite Luoxana Troy moment is in the elevator with Odo, and when she takes off her wig, mm-hmm. and Odo is sitting there trying to hold himself together, and she goes, you don't have to do that with me. Uh, we're, 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 we're bigger than that. We're better than that together. Go ahead and change. I'll hold on to you. I'll protect you. That Luoxana Troy moment beats any fucking con moment for me, personally. But it is all tied up. It comes down to you, Christy. Which one takes the win? So I was going to bring that up just now, the elevator moment, and her taking the wig off, but I guess I won't now. Um, um, but just based, I would vote for Khan if there was no Star Trek Two. I would vote for Khan just on Spacey alone. It is a great episode, and it it it's one of those episodes that brings up you know controversy in real life. It brings up you know, people's, people being uncomfortable with genetic engineering. And so, yes, there, there is a Star Trek two, but it also sets up fodder for Dr. Bashir character development and the augment episodes in enterprise, which I really liked. I just, I just, there's a lot more going on, um, with Khan than just the movie. And, um, his, his performance in um, Space Seed is so, like, strange and but regal, and you don't trust him, but you like him anyway. Uh, Khan has to go through against Luoxana. A vote for Khan, and Khan does go through Luoxana. Troy goes down. She wouldn't have lost if I was in the goddamn fight. But we're going to find out who the next person is to go into the final fight. Larry, this fight is yours. Oh, this is another impossible one. It is Commodore Matt Decker versus Sarek. Oh, but you forget who you're talking to, even though this is like original gener- first generation, original series people, which kind of takes it back to the touchstones. But I, I've, I've declared my thing already. This is the one thing I said I came into all these brackets and I'd go down to, and I'm, I'm frankly a little amazed, but it's also, I, I don't know if it's because, again, that William Wyndham just died recently and everybody... I mean, we literally were at Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and I the one little fighty panel that I was on was one of um, Jordan Hoffman's ones, and it was the original series one. And I couldn't believe how how some of the shows ranked. And I was trying to speak to Doomsday Machine, and it wound up fifth or sixth or seventh somewhere in there. But uh, I I really think it uh, William Wyndham's passing and the obits and people going oh and a lot of people going back and watching the episode and going oh holy crap this is not your typical original series sixties you know here's what we can pay for a guest star budget type situation and um, just showed probably how he was underused and why he won the Emmy on My World and Welcome to It although it it you know only went one year one of the one of those shows to get chopped down early because it wasn't understood it had too much of an audience but anyway. Uh, all that to say, you know how I'm going to vote. I'm going to go for, for Matt Decker. And just, just again, I'm, I'm wanting this not to be because, of, uh, because of, of the actor's passing recently, but because of the strength of, of what an impactful character that was. Can't say he changed Starfleet or genetic engineering or the Ferengi culture or the Betazoid culture or the doodads or Waka Duty 5. But just for the character and the performance and the gravitas and why any other actor, you know, they uh, uh, I forget who it was they were thinking about when they had in mind, but it's one of the old uh, guys that was playing generals in war movies. Um, I've forgotten his name, but 
just for the fact that he did not phone that in, and it was a hell of a role on a 60s time frame and budget. You know, they shot his part was in three days, and that it was a sci-fi that somebody could have blown off, and that he played the shock and the trauma and the Ahabness of it, and and uh, and you did believe him, and he was a bad guy, but he was a bad guy with a with a tragic reason. And uh, you hated him for knocking out Spock and McCoy, but then they, they rebounded, and he just played off the regular cast so well uh, to be the guest guy in. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm taking up time, and you know what I'm going to vote anyway. But uh, as much as I love Mark Leonard and Sarek and all that that was for the thing, I, I, I'm going to go down with Matt. Uh, vote for Commodore Matt Decker. Mike? You know, I, I, think, uh, I think the actor's death, does have have an impact for me not not just in kind of a uh not in the sense that i want to kind of like pay tribute to it but in that it actually just brought that character and that episode and that performance uh back to sort of the the forefront of, of your thinking um but even with that uh i'm still going to vote for Sarek uh for a couple of reasons one i think he really is the best chance of taking down Khan uh at the end here uh, and, and secondly, one thing that, that people, uh, haven't really mentioned is, uh, you know, Spock's mother was human. And then in next generation, we see that he winds up marrying another woman, mm-hmm. um, another earth woman. So I don't know what the Vulcan human version of, uh, jungle fever is, but, uh, that green blooded bastard had it. And, uh, I like earth women too. So I'll vote for Sarek. Uh, vote for Sarek. Chris. Um, trying to make sure there's not a Sarek poster coming out from Bye Bye Robo. <laughs> you never know. Um, between the two, the one that resonates with me most is Sarek, um, for the reasons I mentioned uh, earlier. Um, Sarek's stoicness, his, you know, eventually, ulti- ultimately humanness, really. I mean, he eventually relates to, to Spock. And then he falls victim to that horrible disease that uh, that uh, is a good parallel for for, for uh, Alzheimer's, and it was masterfully uh, played by Mark Leonard. Um, I know we keep saying let's separate the character from the actor, but that's really impossible if you really think about it. I mean, the the, the actress who brings life to the character. If there were no actor, you would just have words on a on a page. Um, so, I would definitely say uh, Sarek. He. Uh, as a father figure throughout Star Trek, other than McCoy talking about the death of his father in Star Trek V, which is probably one of the most poignant moments in a Star Trek movie, and honestly, in in the worst Star Trek movie, right? But, um, yeah, Sarek. Uh, vote for Sarek. Christy? Yeah, you just brought up a point that I was going to talk about um, in that... Sarek is the father figure of Star Trek. He's he when you think when, when you think of fathers in Star Trek, I mean there there are several um probably thinking of Cisco, but originally and I feel like you know overarching the whole series, all the series, Sarek comes out on top. He's he was the first I keep saying he was the first lots of stuff, but you know, Sarek Definitely is a, a pillar of Star Trek, and I don't know that I can say the same thing of Commodore Decker. A vote for Sarek and Jared. Okay, <clears throat> so 
Let's see here. Um, you got Sarek. Sarek is up against one other person, Connor Decker. And uh, Connor Decker is a uh, really brilliant character. I think Larry articulated a lot of beauty regarding that. And uh, because Sarek is like the big dog here, and especially because Mike Ortiz said he could probably take down Khan, I'm going to vote for uh, Commodore Decker. <laughs> a vote for Commodore Decker. But Sarek is into the finals. I, I will say, I will say that if we had a second, if we, because Khan wouldn't even, if we actually had a bracket where you had the one to- one off guest appearances of a character, I would I would dare say that Decker would not take that or at least be in the be in the final. But anyway. You know well, what I'm saying? Uh, if, if you ever did one back where you had one off only one performances. Yeah, he would almost have to. Because he's in the he's in the he's almost he's in the final four of this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we are at the final fight. Those yeah. of you that might still be listening, I have no idea if you are. <laughs> it is Khan versus Sarek. Well, they're listening. It's just two days after they started it. Oh, okay, uh, Mike, it is yours. And we've almost got the Florida recount in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarek! A vote for Sarek. <laughs> okay, uh, Chris? You know what? Dude, okay. So I would say Khan up against anyone. Jeez, mm, let me think about this. the 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 person I would remember the most, or I should maybe I should say the person I would remember the first uh, would be Sarek, uh, because I did watch the original series before I saw Wrath of Khan. Even though I saw the motion picture first, it's kind of convoluted. Um, jeez, hmm. I would, you know, I would go with the obvious and say Khan. And dude, I love me some Khan, right? Um, um, hmm. Screw it. I'm going with Khan. He's got a fucking space mullet, dude. A vote for the space mullet. You know, that was on an episode of uh, Geek Fights. The <laughs> space mullet itself. Uh, Christy. Um, supremely hard. But I have seen more episodes with Sarek, and I'm just talking original series because I, I've seen more original series than any other series, actually. Um, I saw him first. He was for, imprinted on my brain um, before Khan. I, I had, didn't see any of the movies until way, way later. Um, so I'm going to vote for Sarek. A uh, vote for Sarek. Jared. Okay, so we're up against Khan. Khan, who could be nominated for Geek Fight in multiple categories. I mean, this motherfucker is, like, up for best villain. You know, he's up for, like, best hair. I mean, this is a is a, a nerd icon for days, and and here it is. He made it to the finals, and we gotta hash this motherfucker out some more. I I'm gonna go with Fox Dad, and I'm gonna go with Fox Dad 
because he is brilliant. And I think that Spock struggled to embrace, or not embrace, but have his father embrace him is pretty damn awesome. And even though I think that J.J. Verse got it wrong to a degree, although I think that the movie caught up and then, like, sealed it right, I think that Zarek is a brilliant character, and I think it's a brilliant struggle, and I think it's uniquely Star Trek. So I'm going to go ahead and go against Darth Vader and this guy who I wish wasn't here, but Zarek, yeah, he absolutely could get this role, this title for this geek fight, and I think he could own it. So let's give it to Zarek. I'll vote for Zarek and Larry. Wait, wait, am I last? You are last. Is it resting on me? No, luckily it's not. Okay, good. Because I was about to say, Khan means so much to the Star Trek franchise historically and structurally and economically and all that. And yes, to the thread of he was the one that obviously made the impact that affected Earth so much that 400 years later, the one thing that they're anti-science about is genetics and eugenics and all that. Uh, and got their thing stuck in their thing about it. Having said that, if you remember back in the first round, my two favorite episodes of original series are Doomsday Machine and Journey to Babel because of many factors of which Sarek and Mark Leonard's performance are one of them. Uh, and I'm having l- my first show laundered through uh, – laundered? Gone through all of these brackets, all these things, and all the perverse and on-the-nose alike reasons to go for different people. And I'm kind of in the – Thing of you know because this is going to be carried on the headlines of all major newspapers in the world tomorrow, and I'm just for once everyone does know Khan and everyone is aware of that, and I'm so glad they're not redoing Khan or the original series movies on the JJ whatever they're doing, whatever new stories about old fake people we're watching again, but I'm going to go with Sarek. I like to I. It, appreciated the the point about the I think it was Christy about the father of Star Trek in, in Star Trek characters the father figure and I had known that and forgotten it and you kind of reignited it to me and I would much rather have that among guest star this category best minor Star Trek character um, go that way than with Khan so and I know it's geek fights we're obviously, we've got women we have children we have cripples in here so we're not no I'm I'm not saying you have to be I'm being facetious I'm not being non PC don't don't think I'm being whatever um, my point is this is not obviously about physical fighting unless I didn't read the rules that I didn't get so I'm gonna go with uh, Sarek and Sarek is the best six string character of all time you know what that's fine because Brent Spiner can eat it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I know you guys have things to plug. Uh, Christy? Uh, nothing from Christy. How about you, Mr. Formby? I am the Hey Star Trek blogger. You can read that at trekcast.com, which is the new revitalized and yeah. bigger, badder, and bigger than ever. Um, trekcast.com. I am contributing to a uh, podcast on that site, which you can only hear, I guess, if you subscribe to the show. But uh, that's been a lot of fun, and we've been uh, talking a lot of really nerdy things. So uh, check that out if you uh, want to pay $2 a month. 
And uh, outside of that, uh, please, somebody else plug something. Uh, Mr. Chris Woods. I do uh, subspacecommunicate.com and byebyerobot.com plus lifeaftertrek.com, which you can hear Damon, Jared, and Larry uh, on, plus multitudes of other plugs I've done throughout the show. Um, but, uh, you know, you know it's, we don't honestly don't make a ton, ton of money at it. If you want to support us, please do at byebyerobot.com. We do some licensed uh, Star Trek artwork that, uh, that we dig, that we think Star Trek fans would dig. Uh, we do interviews with folks that we want to talk to that we think that Star Trek fans would dig also uh, in Life After Track. So uh, check them out. Thank you very much. And Mr. Larry Nemechek. Hey, Damon. Yeah, well, the basics are LarryNemechek.com and TrekLandBlog.com, which has a lot of videos with peak fans and designers and behind-the-scenes people and actors. And I've got things to get up there that I haven't done yet. I should be shot for being slow about. Um, uh, the Con of Wrath is my documentary, conofwrath.com. And, uh, and my new thing, my new CD series, we had our debut disc, and it got ahead of me where I don't have a, a cute online way to buy it. But for right now, if you just, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even have a blog post up about it. It was a surprise thing for Vegas. But it's a wonderful CD. Um, keep reading the blog, and you'll see a story here in the next week or so about that. And uh, you can still get the Next Generation Companion on Kindle. I think there's 4.7 copies still in hard print that are out there that you can still buy. But it's it's on Kindle and ebook, and um, and a few other things in the works too. Hopefully, we'll talk about in the next few months. But uh, oh, and uh, El Paso Comic Con in September, and uh, Starbase Indie. Over the Thanksgiving weekend are the next two cons on my schedule, so everybody come out, and if you're in those neighborhoods, come out and say hi. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I can say this really quickly. Check out our friends, DVDgeeks.tv, Subspace Communicate, and their awesome li- uh, podcast, Life After Trek, Bye Bye Robot, and the TheRockForFilesFiles.com. <laughs> also, so give a listen. Awesome. I'm not joking. It's there. Also, give a listen to the Soulless Minions of Orthodoxy, Commentary Track Stores. They do... Uh, uh, commentaries on movies and stuff like that, and the Mission Log, uh, Roddenberry podcast. Uh, yes. John Champion does it. It's pretty sweet. Uh, special thanks goes to Karen for being a web presence. Check out what she's doing on the Geek Fights Tumblr. Chris Mitchell created Geek Fights Wikia, and Christy Woke helped flesh it out. You can play on it too. Uh, put whatever you like about us. Uh, we don't. We, we're, we're horrible people. Uh, and who could fit and forget Mr. Jared Formby and his amazing intros? Check him out at www.heystartrek.com and trekcast.com, just like he said. Mike, you can find me on the Weekend Geek Video Show on YouTube, where we preview new comics every week. And our old camera just broke, and the new one is is uh, is in HD. So now you'll be able to see uh, me and uh, the Chris Brown uh, in, in wonderful high definition detail, which I'm sure is going to make people stop watching the show. Um, you can check us out at geekfights.net. Where we have lists of show ideas, the brackets we mentioned earlier, our past episodes and links to our wiki, our Facebook page and our Tumblr. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or the Zoom network or like us on Facebook. If you'd like to be on the panel, just contact us at geekfights at gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Geek Fights or follow the links on our website. Uh, that's all it takes to join the Legion of Geeks. Wow, it's two in the morning. That's going to piss people off. Um, upcoming fights. Let's see. Next week is best fictional athlete. And after that, if Mike can make it happen, it's best of Babylon 5. 
Any and all ideas are welcome. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Keep fighting the geek fight. Good night. <laughs>